Welcome to the Theory of DFS podcast. I'm Jordan Cooper, the co-author of the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. It's a 15-hour audio DFS masterclass you could pick up at theoryofdfs.com. Joining with me this week, uh, man, uh, very, very uh, long tenure in, uh, in in poker. Very, very similar. I think we're, we come from bo- maybe two different eras. It's kind of weird for me to say that I'm more of an old school poker player, but uh, <laughs> but it's it's Alex Santi who who you join you joined me. Uh, do, do you not have much of a life? You you you're typically in the chat for for uh, the Roto Grinders pregame show, uh, helping out people in the chat and uh, and and talking about stuff. We could also see you in the in the, the lobbies on DraftKings and FanDuel and everything. Uh, first off, uh, how sick of you? How sick of NBA DFS are you? At this point already. <laughs> so I wasn't even going to... I haven't played NBA in four years. Uh, for this reason. Because it's fucking sickening. And uh, I decided this year after making some good money in baseball and football. I was like, I'll dabble again. So I dabbled on Christmas. And I was like, once the new year hits. I'm just going to take three months off like I always do before baseball season starts. And it just sucked me in. The sickness. I think I finished top ten in the Monster on Christmas Day. I was like, oh, there's an extra four grand to play with. Let's play with it. And uh, I kept playing, playing, playing. Then it came toward the end of January, made a couple grand. I was like, hey, we're making profits. It's not much work, you know. Then all the news starts to hit in February, and the injuries start to hit, and the COVID start to hit. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go till Valentine's Day, and I'm going to take a break my six weeks before. Didn't happen. And then uh, I said, okay, all-star break. No more after all-star break. And at, since All-Star break, I've been playing the Slam. You know, I toss something in the Slam, but I'm so fucking sick of it. I was sick of it, honestly, by probably early January. But we're sick people, so we do <laughs> sick things. But, I mean, to me, the, the sickness doesn't isn't, like, everything's always fun when you're winning. So, like, I can understand if you're having a bad NBA DFS season to be like, when does baseball come, right? When does football come? When, when, when? You know, you're starting to look at MMA and golf and esports and stuff to go. Maybe go into that. Uh, but I'm like, I've I've been having a good good basketball season, and you know, you've probably yeah. been having a good basketball season. I is it? I've not. Oh, you've not. No, um, I think I've made. I mean, I'll give some disclosure here. Uh, I don't know my ROI. I have to look at my sheet for the ROI, but I've lost total maybe about fifteen k in tournaments. I made about ten in cash, so I'm down about five, which is, I don't know, it's fun entertainment. It's whatever. I had the chance. I've had the chance to bank here and there, but the results have not been there. Um, so it has not been a profitable NBA season. So, but but the point that I was making is that I'm sick of it, even though I'm making money. Yeah. Do you, do you think the sickness comes into the the mental load, like to like? We both come from poker. When you're playing mm-hmm. poker at the highest level, you're concentrating all the time, right? Every hand. I mean, within yeah. reason. You're not like like a lot of average poker players live, especially. I'm not talking necessarily even online. Like if if they fold their hand, it's like, oh, I don't have to think anymore. Like, like I'm not watching yeah. the hand or anything. Like, like no, that's information that you need. So like in poker, even if you're playing 30 hands an hour. Like you're kind of like it's it's eight to ten, twelve, sixteen hours, twenty hours at the table. 
Yeah. Uh, obviously, online, if you're playing like 16 games at once, that's a lot of concentration. Do you feel that in DFS, one of the one of the the best parts of DFS from poker is its scalability? Because I mean, well, definitely. You, Right, I mean, like, you could play one lineup into as many contests as you want. You could play 100 lineups into the, like, you're doing, you're, you're thinking at one time, and then you're going, okay, here's my strategy, here are my lineups, and then seeing the results of the hand play out as it is. That's how thinking most for, DFS sports are. for an are. hour or two. Thinking right. for but, an hour or two. Right, but, it's but. Not, in, you know, full six hours of the slate plus the time you're prepping your lineups. Right, but in NBA, but in NBA you have to be much you have to be focused like the entire slate. I mean like little pieces yeah, of news, yeah. starting lineups and everything. Yeah. To me, to me because I was so used to that in poker, like in poker I could do it, but in DFS when when you, when you primarily play DFS, you kind of like most of your work is front loaded and then for the most part like you're moving on with your life and to some extent. And in NBA DFS, especially this year, with injuries and COVID and everything, it's it almost feels like you're always at the con- you're always at the state of like alert at every given moment because anything. Got- Jason Tatum gets sick twenty minutes before the Celtics game. <laughs> I mean, like is is that where to me that's where the mental fatigue comes in to like even though I'm profitable playing NBA DFS, that it's just like I I, I just want to be able at seven o'clock. To kind of just like, like turn off and be like, okay, I'm I'm done. I could relax. I want to have the choice to talk to my wife or not talk to my wife. <laughs> I want to just I want to have the choice to do that. And with NBA, I don't have the choice. I have to have the phone there. I have to have the alerts on. I have to be or at the computer. And I can't even watch the fucking games. I mean, I actually, I love basketball. I do like the game of basketball. But if I watch a game and I get sucked in, I'll miss an alert. You know, ten minutes, ten minutes before a game starts, right? The the Jason Tatum stuff, like I can miss that because I get into a game or I start doing something else. Or, and, or, or sometimes, but but Alex, sometimes it's not like a major thing like that. It's a it's a starting lineup change. It's a oh yeah oh this guy this guy you know yeah you, you, you know you're playing all the Dwight Howard and it's like oh Mike Scott's in the starting lineup. And it's like how is that yeah. going to affect the Sixers rotation? And you may get an alert on that, but not realize that, like, oh, that that may change a whole bunch of your lineups that you have at, like, 9 o'clock or something. And you never know what that's going to be. Like, it's not like baseball. We all know in baseball that some of these West Coast teams, we have the Angels. A lot of times you don't get their their their, their batting order. Sometimes you uh, before lock. You get it a little bit after. Sometimes you have the Dodgers that... They had. They say that someone's going to pitch. May is going to pitch, but now he's not. Now it's going to be a bullpen game. You may some of that on the West Coast, but a lot of times it's not like, oh well, this guy's not. Now I need to start jamming in other stuff. I need to rearrange all those types of things. It doesn't happen that often. That in baseball, I'm not. Once lock hits, once all the batting orders are in, like I'm not at that constant state of. Of what could what could happen next? If something happens, it's gonna be it's gonna be so out of the blue that like I'm not I'm not expecting the unexpected. But in NBA, you you pretty much always have to expect the unexpected. Yeah, but baseball, I can talk to my wife, or I can not talk to my wife. I can <laughs> you know put my kids, I can help put my kids to bed. You know, it's it's those little things that take the mental load off of like 
having the freedom to enjoy a book or enjoy a game or enjoy a conversation with my wife or humor a conversation with my wife, right? Um, I can do that with MLB. I can do it with, I don't play golf, but if I did play golf, I could do it with golf. I could do it with MMA. I don't even watch the fights, you know. I just put it in every now and then and see what happens. Um, but yeah, NBA, there's the, there, is the, there is a mental load of even if you feel comfortable, you can't feel comfortable. Even if you feel like the work is done, you can't feel like the work is done because complacency will set in and it's going to bite you in the ass. And it could be a starting lineup change. Sometimes with starting lineup changes, you know, I think in NBA, um, we overdo that. Sometimes when a guy is injured and the guy who we think is going to start doesn't end up starting, like a freaking Korkmaz or Tony Bradley over Dwight Howard or uh, who was the guy last night with the Pacers over Some Sumner started instead of McConnell. Um, Sometimes in those cases, you stick with the bench guy because he's going to come out with the more usage and he's going to get the 28, you know, 24 to 28 minutes that you initially projected. Uh, maybe it's less than what you initially projected, but it's still going to be a good play for the price. And sometimes I just roll with it, you know, expect, expecting people to switch to pivot to the Tony Bradley and whatnot. And maybe Dwight Howard gets lower ownership. That happened a couple nights ago, a couple slates ago. He ended up coming out for like 40 or something on FanDuel. When Tony Bradley started, um, and I think Bradley had a fine game, probably smash value, but uh, but Dwight Howard was the nuts in that spot. I think it was Saturday night, actually. I don't remember. But sometimes you get burned with. Sometimes you get burned with that as it is. I mean, and sometimes you get burned. Right. I mean, that's the game, right? That, that's just, that's just the game we play. That's, that's the life we've chosen. Right, but isn't NBA like the the only sport where you feel that mental fatigue? No. Most definitely, most definitely, because you don't feel it in football. I mean, football, something happens for a 3 p.m. game, you know, the late games and a little a little click, you know. You need to make a little switch with a running back or something, but that's about it. Nothing's like NBA. Right, well, like, but, but even in NFL, and like, we have those, the, those things in NFL where we don't know if Julio Jones is going to be active. We don't know, you know, like those types of, like, the, in, the questionable people. But but NFL has you know, protocols that ninety minutes yeah. before kickoff we're gonna they're gonna be in an active list and like I have night like yes I'm gonna have to start switching lineups I could prepare two lineup sets the night before go you know here's my with Julio Jones here's my without one do I have Olamide Zacchaeus in do I not have Olamide Zacchaeus in we have you know the red Dalvin Cook maybe who knows I have my Dalvin Cook lineups I have my Alexander Madison lineups uh, but. Having not having that 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 security blanket of whatever happens, I have ninety minutes to work on it. Is so much easier. It's not as much of a mental load as basketball. Like, I mean, the, the, you can't even trust the goddamn injury report. I mean, like you can't like like even that doesn't yeah. matter. Like you have you don't even know if it's a game time decision. You just know that like. Okay, there's going to be games at seven, seven thirty, eight, nine, nine thirty, ten o'clock, and ten to fifteen minutes before each of those times, I need to be on high alert for something to just pop up out of nowhere, and it I may only have four minutes to change my lineups, as opposed to NFL, where like you rarely ever get the injured in warmups type of thing, where you know it's twelve fifty eight. And it's like, oh, the, the running, oh, the, the running back's not gonna play. Like, it's so rare. 
But you, when you get 90 yeah. minutes, it feels like, okay. Like, even when the inactives come out and I go, oh, Julio Jones is out. Like, I'm not rushing to my computer. I'm just like, okay. I could think about it a little, go, okay, I'm going to move these guys over here. I'm going to stack some of these things and and then leisure and kind of do it, you know, like as one o'clock approaches. But like in basketball, I'm just like, like, can can I go out for a walk? Like, am, like I, no. I could take my phone. Like if I'm playing 100 lineups, can I go out for a walk? And the answer is no. That's what I'm talking about, the freedom. There's just the freedom of doing normal everyday things, experiencing normal human suffering, right? Like you can't do it. And there, there are two things that come to my mind. One, projections are so efficient in NBA that if you don't catch that news and you don't react to that news, you're behind the eight ball because other people have their projections. They'll tweak the minutes. And they'll, they'll change their lineups. They'll upload that CSV, and boom, you're behind those people who are doing that. Um, in NFL, that's a little bit harder. It's a little bit more difficult. There's a little more of you know the, the brain stuff that goes on where people don't only – uh, optimize for the projections for their 150 lineups, right? Like it's not a it's not a simple minutes boost to from 28 to 32 minutes. Um, so I think there is a greater edge in the NBA, or there's a greater uh, deficit in NBA to not reacting to the news. Um, also, there's less variance in the project because those projections are so efficient. If you don't get on that guy who's going to 10x, like you're just fucked. But if you don't get on the running back who is, you know, $4,000, who gets 20 DK points, well, you can still survive it. You know, even then, you you're not even guaranteed. Like like in the NBA, like guaranteed. a guy that's going to walk into 36 minutes that normally would be projected for 20, like, like... No other sport has that. Right, no other sport, right. Because even the running back, it's like, oh, well, 4K running back, we see the Brian Hills, and then it's like... Great. 13 you know, Smith comes in and gets the touchdown. And, right. You know. 13 for 29 with no touchdowns. It's like, great. 40% <laughs> own guy gets 2.9 points. Like, like those guys could still bust. But do you mm-hmm. think, Alex, that we talk about this? There, the, the edge in NBA late swap is one of, if not the hugest edges in all of DFS. Because especially in the, especially in the smaller field NBA. GPPs, like people don't do it. At near nowhere close to is enough. Like, are we're complaining about the fact that from seven to ten or whatever the slate goes, and even two hours before the slate, having to have this mental load. But if it's providing us the biggest edge, like what's the trade off in that? Like, I, I'm someone. I'm a proponent of no late swap in NBA because number one, I think it is harmful to the ecosystem because of how much the edge is over casual players. And coming from poker, we know for a healthy ecosystem, there needs to be that balance of skill and luck. Gotta have the fish. Right. You gotta have the, they, they, you gotta have the fish. Right. Uh, and having too much edge in late swap just destroys people. But we also have it that like, if without that edge, like, isn't that taking away from our urn by having lock at like seven and you have to take the chance. Is Jimmy Butler going to play or not going to play? Well, if you want to take a shot, he's going to be low-owned because not many people are going to play him with the Q tag. Or are you going to play Bam or Hero? Or are you going to play someone that benefits and be like, well, I'm going to take the shot that, like, he's not going to play. Like, to me, there's an edge in doing that. Uh, enough so that 
I don't mind giving up the late swap edge if if I could just get rid of this mental fatigue. Because it's it just, it's, right. I, I've enjoyed playing NBA DFS, but like this, this season, it's just like, it, I'm three months in and I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I, I've had to take days off and typically I'm not a days off type of person, but it's like Saturday. It's like, like, fuck it. Like I, I I'm, I'm done. I, I just want a day where I could, I, I could turn on Netflix and not even have to worry about the slate at all. Right. Not even have to worry about the unexpected, the expected unexpecteds, the mm-hmm. just, just a full day of like, I literally don't care what happens in the NBA just so I could go yeah. into the next day and go, okay, I feel like I, I've been rested, but I never experienced that in five and a half years of playing DFS where I'm available to play and it's profitable to play and I have the time and my, my wife was, was away. She was at a, a party with her friends and I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to watch MMA tonight. And you know, you know what I did? I didn't even make any lineups. I didn't even want him. I didn't even really? want the mental fatigue of even making MMA lineups. <laughs> just MMA is on. It's on ESPN two. I'm just gonna watch it as just as a, a it's a sport, okay. right? Just type it. Okay, that's it. I don't know who won. I don't know who's owned. I don't know what everything. And it's almost refreshing. But then the back of my head, my nit brain in the back of my head are like, well, I just wasted an entire day that I could have profited. I could have made money on. <laughs> right? It's it's almost like Alex, like going to the card nice. room. And saying, I'm not going to play. I'm just going to watch someone. I'm going to watch a game and be like, well, if I'm there, why don't I play? Chips right. I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to be on one of the empty tables, shuffling my chips, watching the game. Oh, are you on the list, sir? No, I'm not on the list. I'm just here. I'm just here watching and reading Card Player Magazine. <laughs> you know, that it kind of goes to my second point. I think you're talking about, you're talking about late swap. That might be a better solution than the solution everyone else throws around of having a time frame solution to the injury problem of like reporting injuries by a certain time 90 minutes before the game 60 minutes before the game i tell people the same thing every time let's say you have a 15-man roster you got two or three guys who are injured for sure injured they're definitely out so then you got 12 guys left over what incentive is there for a coach who has a genuine game time decision genuine game time decision lebron's ankle he's got to test it before every game right let's say lebron like in that warm-up, it's just like, it's not working. DMPCD. Did that play coach's decision? And he's in everyone's lineups. Was that, hey, yeah, but we know it's the starting lineup. I mean, we game. know. When we don't see LeBron in the starting lineup, you know that's a red flag. Well, then it's the same thing. Yeah, but we're it's talking, but, but you're talking about the NBA. We, we're we not going to be able to change the NBA. I mean, DraftKings no, and FanDuel, they could change their product. But, I mean, the NBA is going to NBA whatever they want to do. It's far better. Your solution is far better. The DraftKings and FanDuel, they take the initiative and just take out the late swap instead of trying to lobby the NBA to change the rules for us, which can't happen. They can't. There's no perfect solution that they can come up with for us. But DraftKings and FanDuel, they can come up with a less bad solution for us, which is probably late swap. They got the late swap. No, but no, but they, they view it the opposite way. We, 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 yeah. see, we see so often, Alex... We see it in poker. We see it in DFS. That the worse the DFS player is, the worse the user is, the less, the, the more that they want something that they seem that they makes them feel better, but actually reduce it, that actually is harmful to them edgewise. So late, like the, the big thing for the sites are that no one, no normal user 
Not not me and you. I've I've had plenty. DK used to not have late swap. Fanduel didn't have late swap. I have no problem getting a zero in my lineup and losing that night because I'm playing every night. I'm playing. I fine. I took a shot. I got a zero or unexpected AD locker room three minutes in. I get a two or whatever. It happens. I'm playing 180 slates. Shit happens over a long period. It'll happen about as equally to everyone. So who gives a fuck? So I'm able to do that. But the casual user, they go, you know, well, do I play Jimmy Butler tonight in the eight o'clock game? An hour after lock, because he's he's a game time decision. They play Butler, and they have seven percent of people that play Butler and get a zero. And an NBA taking a zero is essentially your, your lineup's dead, right? It's 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 not like baseball. You can sure. win with a zero in baseball. Uh, and then the users complain. And then they go, well, like these casual players are like, I all I wanted to do. Can I just take out Butler and put someone else in? And then that's what they view late swap to be. When me and you and good DFS players know that late swap should be utilized regardless of any, like you could be late swapping regardless of any news because you're swapping bad lineups to good lineups and you're getting leverage when you didn't get leverage because now you have more information. Bad players don't do that. That's the edge, but they don't realize that in the couple of times a year that they get an automatic zero, they're giving up several percentage edge like literally every other slate by not utilizing late swap so for a casual player you would mathematically you would want no late swap you would want want it that a sharp player like me i could get a zero as much as you could get a zero and when you're on even ground with a sharper player there's no edge there so how do you reconcile the fact that we see this often in dfs that you know, the casual user wants something that makes them feel feel like they're in control when in fact they're they're actually it makes them more of a loser by having that feature enabled and convincing them other like you I, I you could have these conversations, Alex, till you're blue in the face about about late swap edge and stuff, you know, like that. And I mean, you gotta keep the fish the fish, right? I mean like that's mm. like people just like in poker people the, uh, don't understand you know like uh, well it hit flush hit the last hand it's gonna hit this like people have these superstitions and and misunderstand math or have faulty logic that that hurts them and then you try to explain why it would be better the other way and they dig their heels in more and go no you're the one that's wrong and i just go well then just keep on losing i guess i mean just like like how do you how do you how do you how do you not understand this? But it's typically people that just don't really think like mathematically or probabilistically. Like how how do the sites reconcile that? Because if you ask the sites, like I'm on the DK the VIP player committee, whatever, and which just to just to be clear, it's like a glorified focus group. Ninety nine percent of the time, they're like, we're thinking about doing this, and we go, that would be fucking horrible. And you know they go. Thanks for the feedback. We're still doing it. So like it's it's we have no control, but that they will they will tell us that. I mean, they're the main user that they're catering to is the casual user. They that's the bulk of their user base. The people that play once in a while, every so often, convert over to the sports book stuff like that. Me and you, Alex, we're not their core customer. We're gonna be, we're gonna be there. That that's the, the, we we fill the contests for all the casual users, and they'll tell you that. Based on surveys, 
The casual user wants to be able, doesn't want it, doesn't want an automatic zero. That it's a bad user experience and they will, they will stop playing when they get an automatic, that they don't have the ability to swap out an injured guy that just got Tatum, that just got ruled out, you know, that type of thing. Uh, and the sites know that it would be better for them to just not have late swap. They have the numbers. They know, they know how many people late swap and the users that have the edge. So hat, hat, how do, you, how do we reconcile the fact that what would be better for the ecosystem and better for our own mental load to reduce our edge and then actually be able to talk talk to our wives, right, at night during basketball season? Like, is, isn't that being stuck between a rock and a hard place? Because the users that we're looking to help actually are looking for the complete opposite of what helps them. We've seen this with the poker sites. Uh, at first, when Poker Stars and Party Poker were first out, you used to have 15 minute blind levels and they used to go up very slowly. 15 minute blind levels that went up very slowly. Then it got to 12 minutes because they wanted to shorten the time span of the tournament so they could start more tournaments. Right. So you could enter four tournaments in the span of four hours. Now, you, now your four tournaments would maybe take three hours and maybe you'd do another two or three after that. They get more rig. Then they went to turbo tournaments where they went to five-minute blind levels. And um, I thought when that first happened, I was like, who the fuck is going to play these? It's just going to be push-fold, all in or fold, you know, after about the first hour. What ended up happening, the casual player loved it because they didn't have to make decisions as the hand went on. It was just one decision with your starting hand based on what the action was to you and the amount of chips you had in your hand relative to the average stack, right? Those right, are but, easy, but, simple, but, but Alex, things. but Alex, doesn't that benefit casual players? It does because it put more, puts more luck into the equation because they don't have to make more decisions. Right. So, but so uh, that would but be, a, but that would be a good it's thing. bad for the game. The if you want to talk about the game of poker, you want to have the most chips in play, the most decisions to make. That's where I have the edge. So I quit playing poker tournaments back in 2007. I don't know what they're like now in terms of blind levels and whatnot, but um, but they, they basically threw me out of the game. They made it more for they they threw really good players out of the game because. But isn't that the one? Isn't that what they isn't that what they want to do? You're, That's what they wanted. Right, but you're cool. you're giving me an example of the exact opposite. Where by oh, no, by I'm saying I understand why the sites. I, I empathize with the with the sites. Yeah, but but DraftKings and FanDuel are doing the opposite. They're they're doing what the casual players want, but not what's best for them. It just so happens that these that turbo yeah. th- these turbo tournaments, these turbo sit and goes, are best for the casual player and best for the site. Like it's 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 all yeah. aligned. It would be different if the site said, "Well, we're going to have tournaments where you know it's twelve hours long and the blinds go up every half an hour." And, and don't even have antes, and like that, that benefits skillful players, and that yeah. you know. But casual players don't even want that. They don't want to play a poker tournament for twelve hours. No, they want to get their they want to get their shot at ten grand in two or three hours, which is completely fucking insane. If you ever played poker fifteen twenty years ago, these tournaments used to go on two days. You know, I mean, you have a, a big poker tournament of five hundred people, it could go yeah twelve hours, and that was normal. If you know. For, if you were playing in a live card room, um, but now, yeah, they want these tournaments done in two, three hours. It's bananas. It's it's a lot of luck. It's a lot of luck. It's a lot of luck, and uh, there's a lot of money out there in rake to take. Right, but, but I it think... also goes to another point you were talking about with taking a zero. 
And I think this is one of the most important points in DFS that we don't talk about. And I think only gamblers understand this. And I think gamblers, we think other people understand this because it's, it comes off as intuitive. It's not bankroll management. You can take a zero because you manage your bankroll well, not because you're this great DFS player with an XROI over Y, right, that you can beat the rake. You have bankroll management skills, and you have bankroll management rules, and you have game selection rules. But if you're just willy-nillying, I've got a thousand bucks in my account, I'm going to play the monster tonight, and I'm going to play the clutch shot with 150,000 people with the same lineup. Well, you've got bad bankroll management skills, and you've got terrible game ma- game selection skills. No matter what your ROI is, eventually you're going to hit a losing streak, and you're going to go broke. You have a 20% ROI, you're going to go broke playing like that. But aren't you describing most people? I think I'm describing most people. Right. Yes. But but don't but, but don't you understand zero. that now now Alex I'm going to push back. Me and you both know that. Like professional DFS players, if you want whoever you want to call professional, uh have prop have good bankroll management. There are plenty there are plenty that don't, right? There are plenty you don't see in the lobbies anymore maybe because they played a little <laughs> bit over their head. Uh if the sites know that casual players don't want to take a zero and the more casual players I'm using casual the more, whatever uh, also don't have any proper bankroll manager that means automatic zeros affect them the most when you when you're like oh I have two grand I'm gonna play a thousand dollars tonight and that's like half the money that you have like yeah taking a zero is a big deal but when I'm playing when I'm playing less than one percent of my bankroll on an NBA GPP, and it's like, mm. so I'll take a shot on Butler at four percent own, and if he's, and if he's not in, and okay, then on to tomorrow. Then I just, I just lose that slate, and it's like, that's that's not that's us, but that's not normal. So the sites know that the bulk of people are playing above their heads from a from a Kelly Criterion perspective. Yes. So don't they want to protect those? Isn't isn't it in their best interest? to protect those players shouldn't it it should be in their best interest to educate those players why you shouldn't be playing at the level that they're playing but of course that affects their bottom line they they never want to have any type of functionality in their site <laughs> where it's like do you really want to play this much right like they're, they they're they're a public company now like their shareholders yeah. would be like what do, what do you mean i mean we see on FanDuel that they don't have a limiter for head tags they do that for a reason because they want you to play as much as fucking possible at least DraftKings has yeah. some type of protection there for, for that. But I, I can't blame the sites for, if hey, if you want to play $5,000 tonight and you only have $5,000, go for it. But they also don't want that customer, to them, their customer, to be pissed off at the product. Like, there's a difference between, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play all my bankroll on one slate and then lose because it's like, oh, this guy didn't do well or... I picked Oladipo and he didn't do like, and a guy like literally like, okay, everything locked at seven, Jason Tatum's out and he's in my power forward spot and I just lost all my money. Like they're going to blame the sites. They're not going to, they're not going to necessarily even blame the Celtics or Jason Tatum. They're going to be like, why can't I swap this guy out to at least someone else? So I don't take a zero. So it still comes down to the sites having to, it still comes down to the general concept that I said before, that cash, that the, the more casual, the more average, I'm using these adjectives, they're interchangeable, that 
It's not. It's the Dunning Kruger. I, I, Recreation. I, to, to, no, to me, it's the Dunning Kruger effect. The less you know, the more confident you are in what you want. Like it's that's it. Like the most DFS players that I talk to that are like have bought the course, have just started out, that tune into the Roto Grinders pregame show, that are new, newer, or at least like haven't like played seriously, and they're just starting to play seriously. Like the main thing that I try that, that maybe that's why I'm more of an asshole and give more blunt answers is that I need to shake you out of your confidence because people come mm-hmm. in and go, I know basketball. I've been watching basketball for 20 years. I'm going to beat this game. And then they play for a year or two and they don't beat the game. And then they start coming up with conspiracy theories. They start coming up with bots and then people are cheating and, and you're getting so unlucky. And then you start explaining to them like, like, no, it's not a game of basketball. It's a game of math. Just so happens to be that the pieces are basketball players. And the main thing is the first let the first barrier is the stubbornness of no, you're wrong. I know about basketball, so I should win. I deserve to win because I know basketball. Like I need that's to me, that's the Dunning Kruger effect of you're so confident. The more, the less you know, the more confident that you are in the Latin that you think that you know. And I need to break that veneer first before you could even you could even get better at the game. I mean, I still in the year 2020 was getting DMs from people after my baseball articles of, you know, well, this guy's got so many RBI in the last 10 days or whatever. In the year 2020, this is this stuff is happening. I mean, the book was written on RBI 15 years ago. It's a piece of shit. It doesn't matter. But also the past 10 games doesn't matter. I mean, I also say, like, well, this guy's been hitting well, and so, and, and, so. So what? So? So Or, 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 no, no, I get people, Alex. talk about basketball people. Baseball people are the worst when they think they know. Oh, yo, definitely. Baseball people think they know. Oh, my God. Baseball people are the worst when they think they know. You can't tell a baseball person everything you've ever learned is wrong. But it's not even about the analytics. I'm I'm still talking about in just playing the DFS game. That I've I've had people that DM me that say, you know, I've been uh uh I've I've won I've won four I've won four slates in a row in GPP. Should I move up today tonight because I've been playing so well? I go, what do the past four slates have to do with tonight's slate? Yeah. You know, what what is that? What is what but are is there something that are you for some odd reason are you playing better? But even then. Four game, a four slate sample size. You wouldn't even be able to fucking judge that on whether or not you just got lucky. So like, so the just yeah. the fact it's it's the roulette, it's the it's the roulette wheel with the display on the roulette wheel type of thing of like, well, black's been coming up five times in a row. Like, well, does that mean you bet on red because it's come up five times in a row and the likelihood of it coming six times in a row, or is is black hot and you have to keep on pl- like, dude? But they're both wrong, like. Not, none of that matters. It's still the same pro- fucking probability. So the, to me, it's those types of things. It's like the things that to a less, I don't want to call it less logical brain, like it's pattern recognition. People are, human brains are, des- are designed to recognize patterns. And uh, if you don't have the proper like subje- the objective mathematical like background, you could get deceived by patterns like fucking all the time. And mm-hmm. 
the more the more that you've been deceived by patterns, then you get into another bias, which is you've seen something so often that you think it's true, right? We know that there are plenty of facts that people parrot information and they go, well, you know, I've heard it so many times it has to be true. It's like, no, it doesn't have to be true just because you heard it a bunch of times. So that's mm. what causes, I think, more casual players, average DFS players, uh, you know, less serious ones to the flounder for, for years playing DFS unprofitably because they're, they're holding on to things that are, that are not logical and not true. And any amount of explaining just, you, you just, it's, it's like, it's like political polarization. It's just like, you're like, I can't get rid of this worldview of what the game is. So it's, it's, it's someone else has the easy button answer that I'm just not finding and can you tell it to me? And when I say that, well, there's, there is none, you're just not viewing the game properly, uh, that they never get better. I mean, that, that this is the highlight, Alex, of why I don't mind doing this podcast and I don't do doing the course because 95% of people will go, oh, this, oh, I've never heard of some of this stuff before. And then they still go like, but, but I know basketball, but I know base, but BVP, but, but, but G-Man Choi always hits Garrett Cole. So that means I have to play G-Man Choi. It's like, dude, he's had 17 bats. Maybe, maybe he does. Maybe, maybe BVP. Maybe it. Maybe he does. But in a 17 at bat sample size, what type of actor? Never know. Who you never, you wouldn't know, right? You just wouldn't know. A guy could be on a hot streak. Like I, uh, I do believe that hot streaks exist. I think a guy can be on. I think it is 100% impossible to figure out when a guy is on a hot streak. So it's just insignificant to our purposes. It's inconsequential to what we're doing. The decisions that you and I have to make on a slate are completely unrelated to what a guy's done in the last whatever, name your small sample size, amount of games. Right, but that's the, pat- but that's the pattern recognition in the brain. It's hard, for, it's hard for someone to reconcile that something exists, yet it shouldn't be factored into your decision. Like, it's very hard for you to say, like, BVP exists, but you wouldn't be able to predict it. Like, that's a difference between, we talk about in statistics, predictive and descriptive. So mm-hmm. there, there's tons of descriptive stuff. There's tons of, this guy, this guy's hit 30 in the past 41, and all, you know, all that type of stuff. This team is covered against the spread. Eight out of and nine the last game. When it's raining... Right, exactly. You could come up with all of those, but it doesn't make it predictive. It doesn't mean that that has any factor into today's decision, today's game. So while you could say that a batter, batter's on a hot streak, you don't know when it's going to end. You don't know if the streak, you don't, you, don't know, you don't know any of that. It could end today, it could end a week from now. It could not even be a hot streak. It could, so like because of the fact that you, it has no predictive power, you shouldn't be thinking of it at all. But because of pattern recognition that, you know, human beings, our reptile brains are attracted to, the many casual average DFS players, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for, they're, how much research are you doing? Oh, you, you must be doing eight hours of research into this baseball slate, <laughs> looking for the patterns. And it's like, no, because 99% of patterns are bullshit. They they, they 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 don't fact they're they're it's just you're looking at variance, you're just lo- you're looking at, at at a randomness, 
type of thing that shouldn't be factored in your decisions. And it's very hard to tell someone that is so used to looking for patterns to say, don't even bother looking for them. They don't matter. And then basically take, take, close your eyes. And if you could close your eyes and pick five guys and have a, have a, have a similar, uh, a stack or a, pick a team and stack and stack five of them. Like, and do a five, like in baseball, Alex, you do five, three on DraftKings and two pictures. I said, if you just blindly did that without even like doing any research, you're probably ahead of the game more than a lot of, more than a lot of people. And you didn't do it. You literally don't even know anything about baseball. So if the fact that you can do that and have an edge means that all your eight hours of research doesn't mean anything. A lot of the big research is uh, willingly seeking out the strengthening of one's own bias. Mm -hmm willingly and i think the, the key word in there isn't bias it's willingly i've said that a bunch of times and people ask me well it's not my bias and I'm, I'm looking out the facts and the logic and the reason no you are looking for things to confirm what you already want to believe you may not know that you want to believe it yet but in the end you're going to believe what you went into the process wanting to believe it's very rare that you're going to change your mind and there's a great line in the book um I think it was called Baseball Beyond the Numbers. This is back in like 2005 or whatever, and they first brought out like war to the public and, you know, why RBI is a stupid stat, shit like that, wins don't matter. And uh, in the intro, something the human brain is a terrible computer. That we cannot, we do not have the power of a computer. We do not have the power of a spreadsheet to punch all the numbers and punch all the data that we need to do for every single player on a slate all the variables that are actually, and, oh, forget, punch all the numbers and punch all the variables. Just to figure out what's significant and what has correlation to what's actually useful for us, it's just fucking impossible for us to do our own. Longhand, putting in a spreadsheet ourselves. I mean, the work that people like Derek Carty or the guys at Fantasy Labs are awesome or that they've put into their models, I can't even comprehend the amount of work that they've put in. I can't do it. I am humble enough to admit that I cannot do it. I am, uh, I guess, shameless enough to admit I will not do it. So well, it's not I worth it. It's not, but it's not worth doing. It's like, it's, it's what it's I, in in business. I, I I say this a lot. Like in in all of my entrepreneurial activities, I I believe that you should always you should focus. Uh, you should double and triple down on your core competency, and outsource everything else. So to me, I my core competency is in game theory and, and not in projection models and statistics. So if I could outsource that and pay for the convenience, why shouldn't I? I have a baseball model that I use, and I, it's mostly mostly incorporates the bat. Um, but I have a kind of a power boosting model that I use for a long time. It doesn't project points; it projects ratings. And uh, someone from a site that is. Pretty prominent. I'll be uh, I'll be writing there this year as well, but it hasn't been announced yet, so I don't think I can say it. They asked, "What would you want to do to uh, What would it take for you to incorporate your model into our site?" I said, "One hundred fifty thousand dollars a year." And they're like, "Oh, I don't think we can do yeah, that." Yeah, no, obviously they're not going to do it, right? Because <laughs> if I had to actually put the time in to really not perfect the model but lower the margin of error on this model, I would need one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year to do this 12 months a year. And that's that's my price. And I think that's actually a little low. 
because the amount of hours that would have to be put in there. Look, I mean, I was I taught at a university, and uh, I made decent money with summers off. Um, I play poker. I make very good money playing poker. I can day trade a couple hours a day. Like that's time that I can't do that. You know, that's time that I working on a model like you're talking about. You know, we you know we don't have the time to do that. That's time I'm not making money in other places. So it would cost me, yeah, it would have to cost someone at least $150,000 a year for me to put together a mouth. Yeah, but that's normal. It's a very similar to when people DM me and say, can you give me, can you give me lineups? Right? Can you, can you give me lineups? You know, you know what I tell them? I said, you know what I'll, I'll do for you? Okay. I will make your lineups every single day. You want to play NBA? You want to play MLB? You want to play NFL? Soccer even, right? Because I play soccer. Anything that, I, that I'm, I'm competent in. I will make. I will stop playing DFS. My job will be to make your lineups. Okay, give me seventy five thousand dollars, because that's what, uh, that's always been my goal. Can I make seventy five thousand dollars a year playing DFS? That's my. That's what I consider. You know. Okay, I live in Louisville. It's a lower standard of living. If I can make seventy five thousand dollars, that's my goal. So if I could do that fucking risk free, fucking sign me up. I won't even play DFS anymore. I'll do it. I'll do the same exact shit that I would do. But now you could have it. You know their their attitude is like you're you're crazy. I'm like, yeah. Well, that's that. There's a there's a reason why people sell lineups for ten dollars on Twitter. It's because they're they're losing players. They're worth ten dollars. Right, right. <laughs> that's exactly that's exactly. It's like, dude, if if you want the results that I have, then you have to pay for the like. The, you have to find the arbitrage. Well, it wouldn't be worth it because I'd only make seventy five thousand, and I have to have to pay you. I go exactly. So why the fuck would I be making your lineups? Right. So that, that to me, to me, that's that's the point of like even with Cardi with the bat, like like, dude, the, pro- the projections in the industry. Um, I mean, imagine, Alex, if RG didn't have any projections, if Osmo didn't, if all these sites, labs didn't have any projections that that you had to build your own model. You'd, you 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 couldn't deny the fact that the games would be dramatically easier. I had a greater edge back in 2016 in this game than I do now. I have to put more work into lineup construction, which has been good for me in terms of strengthening my own personal game. But I have to put more mental energy into creating lineups nowadays than I did in 2016. In 2016, I used to just, you know, I had my models for basketball and baseball, and I just clicked solver. Boom, there's my cash lineup. Every night, like I clicked solver in my own model, and uh, that's how I built. That's how I built, you know. But now I can't do that all the time, and now the bat's just done everything that I did times ten. So I can click optimize on the bat, and for I mean, Derek Hardy, maybe I shouldn't be saying this. I'll say it softly. It's too fucking cheap. Well, but that, but that's the, but that Alex, that's the point that I'm making. When when people when, on the pregame show, you know, it's forty dollars. $99, whatever, combo premium on Roto-Grinders, and you get, like, the basketball projections. The Even even the RG baseball projections are fine. I go, I go, dude, the subscription should be 10x, 20x, 30x. I mean, the bat should be $5,000 for the full season. I mean, like, like not because it's like, oh, because you want to pay for it so no one else has it. It's like, it's like, no, well, the, you know how much time that's, like, do you know? How, do you oh, yeah. understand how? Like you mentioned before, one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year for you to do that. It's like that's how much time it saves. Yeah. Even, 
And with the amount of volume that I play, like, imagine me having to start from scratch with a baseball model, okay? And I could do it. And I would have to learn some, I need to re- relearn Python. I knew, I knew some of it back in the day. Uh, and do all of that. I'm like, I'm looking at all the stuff that I would need to do and then backtest it and then do regression and then do uh, all this, all this fucking shit. And I'm like, dude, it would take me probably five years of tweaking and, and perfecting it just to get to the point, possibly even, probably not even get to the point of the bat. So it's like, dude, like, why don't I just like $300? Like it, it, you're almost like, you almost feel like it's too good to be true. Like that's how, to me, that's how cheap it is. It is. You know, I used to spend between 2014 and 2018, I think about the bat for the first time halfway through 2018, and I did my own model. Every night at around midnight, I would import, you know, the players from the following day's slate. I'd get my, you know, Spandle does the starting pitcher thing, so I could, you know, copy-paste that column of the starting pitchers, put them in my pitcher sheet, and then I'd import all the numbers, and then in the next morning... I would have to refresh and make sure the names weren't all fucked up and everything and let all that automate. And that would take maybe an hour or something. Then around noon, I would register for contests and uh, see what see what lineups were coming in for day slates, maybe a little before that attend. All in all, long story short, I would spend six to eight hours making the tweaks here and there for a model, for like, you know, lineup order, for, you know, importing all the stats and everything, all that shit. Um and teach full-time, and I was raising a kid, and I had a wife, like, I had bills to pay and shit, and I had, like, coffee to grab, because, you know, I have to enjoy an hour a day of, you know, sitting outside maybe by the lake and having a cup of coffee, like, I just, there was not enough hours in the day, and I made very good money doing it, but I made more money with the bat just clicking a button saying optimize. Right, so why why wouldn't you? more than $300 over the course of six months. That's worth so much more, that's worth $300 a day. At the volume that you play, yeah, at the volume that you play, it could be. You're right, but that's the but that's the main reason. Like you're 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 describing six to eight hours a day type of thing. It's like I tell people that on most baseball slates, I could show up a half an hour before lock and build plus EV lineups. Like, like dude, it's it's twenty it's twenty twenty one. It's not it's not twenty twelve anymore. Like all the work is done for you. Like, like my core competency is in game theory, but I also you have. Game theory is not just like just a blanket concept of like, like it could include everything, but being aware, like we know from poker, the levels of thinking, right? First level, what, what, what's in your hand? Second level, what's in your opponent's hand? Third level, what is your, what do you think your opponent thinks you have? Fourth, and then we get to basically just GTO and just like, you're just randomizing shit at that point. Frequencies, uh, the second to me, the, the 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 second level in DFS now is being aware that other the, of the projections of the the fact How other is people are viewing the projections. You mean right? The the fact, like for instance, yeah. Although I work for Roto Grinders as an independent contractor, but I mean technically, uh, like I'll use RG NBA projections. I believe that they're the best in the industry, but I'm also a DFS player. I, this is, this is my business. I, I, I subscribe to everywhere. I look at, I look at Osmos projections. I look at labs projections. I look at ETR projections. I look at, I do as well. right. 
just to see the aberrations, but also not to double check. Cause sometimes it's a big aberration. It's like, is one site like rejecting a guide for like six more minutes than anyone else for some apparent reason, like that type of thing. But you know, the main reason I do, because I know that other people use projections. So like, I know that people from labs are going to have a lot of this guy because they're projecting him three points higher than like everyone else in the industry. And it's like, so this is the kind of like hand ranges in poker of like, I get to yeah. look at the swath of the, of, because I know that people will blindly use projections as if they're gospel and not as if they're a range of outcomes and use these optimizers as if the optimizer is telling them who to play. So it's like, okay, whoever's just, just pressing the optimize button on this site and playing a hundred lineups is going to get like 92% of this guy and whoever's using on this. So now I could judge ownership and get leverage. Now I could start exploiting the projections around the industry and use game theory like that and go, although this guy does project well in the RG projections and my projection model or whatever, that his range of outcomes, he's actually a negative EV play because he's actually over projected elsewhere. So like, although it says here, he's going to be 38% owned. I think he's going to be more like 52% owned. And at that level, I'm just going to play lineup. But I mean, I wouldn't know that without looking at other people's other industry projections and then also knowing that 90% of people that use projections don't even use them properly for GPPs at least that they're letting the optimizer tell them who to play and not like actually devising plus EV strategies you know that we see a lot of times you download the CSV in large field contest you'll see people that are entering 50 lineups and it's like it's 50 optimals. It's like they're playing 50 cash lineups. It's like they went to a site and they said unique players too and give me randomness 10% and then they press the button and it's like, great, you have a lot of lineups that are going to min cash. Right? Way to go. Thanks a lot for leaving the first place equity to me. Uh, but since there are so many people that do that, like I'm, it seems, it seems counterintuitive that I'm saying that I think projections are great and then you could... Tell people, okay, use projections, but you could also use them against other people because I know that, like, the top players, I know that, like, you know, when I play, pe- you know, Petty Theft in, in NBA or I'm playing, you know, Ch- Dave Potts Cheese in, in MLB, mm-hmm. that, that you know, I'm not going to be able to know what their exposures are going to be. I'm not, they're, go- they're going to devise strategies. They're going to find leverage. They're going to do stuff that is against what an optimal, you know, just knapsack problem type of, you know, solver, throw it in type of thing. So I'm not, I, I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know where they're going to go, but I, but the average player, the average player that's just going to go, I'm going to sign up for a site. I'm going to use fantasy cruncher and just use their, use their horrible projections and just like press optimize. It's like, dude, you just throw money away. But like I could exploit Mm -hmm. that. So do you, do you think that in the, Obviously, compared to 2014 or something like that, there weren't all these places. You you had to have your own model. But now that models are more available, don't you think that the edge now, even with people that have projections, is just exp- doing exactly as I described in GPP and exploiting players that are essentially over-projected elsewhere because people don't know how to prune that stuff out? I think the main edge is in game selection. Because what decisions do we make as players? We choose who's in our lineup, and we choose the games that we play. 
and for how much money. So if there's a point, there was an NFL, I feel like this is really useful in NFL cash games where, you know, projections kind of swing. You can pretty much project, or you could forget project, you can predict six guys in the main NFL cash lineup. And there's a 2v2, maybe a 3v3 somewhere. Right, and the 3v3 involves the defense, and a lot of times defense doesn't matter. So it's like it, it could be one matter. of these four defenses. It's like whatever. a tight end and a punt and a wide receiver three right. or a wide receiver two gets switched out. And sometimes you realize, you know, you sacrifice. I did this. Uh, there was a big lineup where everyone played one lineup. It was fucking ridiculous. But there was a it was a Travis Kelsey lineup, and it was a Darren Waller lineup that had like a .7 something difference in projection on the blitz. And it was Waller and a $4,500 wide receiver, I don't remember, or Kelsey and a 30 something dollar receiver. And uh, I decided to go with the Waller lineup. But because I was making that sacrifice in projection and of, and I was going to be going against some massive chalk, I chose to play more triple ups and quintuple ups, which I normally don't play. I normally don't, play, I normally don't touch them. But I was like, if I'm going to hit on this, I want to fucking hit on this. I'm not going to waste my time on 50-50s. I limit, I you know, limited my head-to-heads. I think my my hundreds ended up getting really filled because I put them in too early. <laughs> put them in too early in the week, so I got like $2,500 head-to-heads taken up, and I was like, oh shit, I'm. Yeah, but head-to-heads aren't that bad in, in aggregate. You'll still end up getting a linear no. if you if you if you win that two v two, you'll just end up winning like probably like 92% of your head-to-heads. But there was a shot that I was going to, you know, lose about 20 of those head-to-heads. Right, of course. So I was like, right, so I, I know. bumped up my three-mans, you know. I bumped up my three-mans. I bumped up my triple-ups because I was going against some projections. Waller um, went the fuck off. He went fuck the fuck off. Right, that was the, that was the one yeah. where he had like 60 points or something like that. He had like, I remember yeah. that week. Yeah. I think it was against the Jets. I could be wrong. But, uh, yeah, he got like 16 catches or whatever it was. It was ridiculous. And, uh... Yeah, made made a lot of money not because I made the right lineup. I chose the right games for the lineup. For but but the the key point that you're making is for the lineup. Like for the lineup. like, I I mean you you know I'm big into this. I mean you're you're preaching to the choir here. This is I mean I talk about this all the time. About it's about the line lineups, not players, and then like the progression that you think about should be what contests am I in? What type of lineup should I make? What players fit that lineup? Well. Most average players do the opposite. What player should I play? How do I put them in a lineup? And then what contest should I enter? But when you know, if you're planning on playing cash games, double ups, those that, you know, where it's not progressive payout structure, that obviously the more chalky you are, the more correlated you're going to be to other lineups in the contest, which could be beneficial when half the field gets paid the same amount. But if you're going to be somewhat contrarian, if you're going to sacrifice median and gain leverage, like what's the purpose of doing so when your reward is still the same versus getting 3x or 5x? Especially when we all know that 90 plus percent of the lineups that are in triple ups and quintuple ups are the people's cash lineups that are in double ups. I mean, truthfully, also- truthfully, but Alex, truthfully, that's what you're, you're, you're not exploiting the game selection because of your lineup decision. I think it's more that you're exploiting the fact that most people play one lineup in all those contests. Like imagine the optimal way to play truthfully 
is to build a lineup for your head-to-heads and double-ups, then build another lineup for your triple-ups, then build another lineup for your double-ups. And the triple-ups and the the triple-ups and the head-to-heads might be the same lineup. It could be. Right. But there are a lot of times where there is a little tweak that, I think in baseball especially, you know, I get a little power-heavy in my three-man, five-man games more so than I do in my, my head-to-heads. And there, that's where you do deviate from the optimize button, you know? Well, you're trying now, to increase I'll your variance because sure. you're going to get a higher payout if you do. Sure. Like, I will uh, try to think uh, of a quick outfielder. Um, a good Jesse Winker is a guy who gets on base a lot. And uh, let's say they're facing a shitty pitcher in Cincinnati. Like, so he can score some runs and he can get on base and he's going to project really well. He's going to project the same as Joey Gallo. I'm going to put Joey Gallo in that three-man lineup and put Jesse Winker leading off in my head-to-head lineup. They project about the same, but I want the home run upside of Joey Gallo. And there have been a couple times where I said, where I actually messaged Cardi, and I was like, can I really do Joey Gallo here? And he'll be like, it's sexy, you know? And sometimes if Cardi gives me the it's sexy or, you know, the kind of it's, I like it, um, and it goes with the projections and the bats saying they're about the same, they're about the same, I'll go with the higher variance play. Right, because you're going to make more money. Because you're not just going to double your money, you're yeah. going to triple or quintuple up your money. Over the course of, you know, 500 slates, I think I've got a better shot at, you know, tripling up. Right, but do you think, but do you think the edge in doing that? Like I, I mentioned before, like you're, you're highlighting your choice of a Winker versus Gallo. So obviously, let's say they both have a median of eight. But it doesn't mean they have the same range of outcomes. So like Jesse Winker is the yeah. type that's going to score between six and ten. And Joe Gallo is going to be the type that scores zero or 18. But their median is still going to yeah. be, it's still going to be, it's going to look to the optimizer. It's going to look, an eight is the median. But the, do you take the high variance player because you'd rather score first in a five man contest? Uh, yeah, I but do you, two guys or four guys. Right. But don't you think that that truthfully, the edge is not in doing that. It's in the fact that in your three mans and five mans, most of your opponents are playing double up lineups. They're playing yes. that they're playing wing. It's because if everyone was playing Gallo in that contest, you wouldn't have the you wouldn't have the edge because everyone's going and make. It's because everyone's playing Winker because he's the lower variance play, and people don't make separate lineups for three mans, five mans. They're just, I'm, they're, I'm playing 764. It's Empire Maker. I'm playing one lineup and I'm literally playing it on the entire site and not making any deviations. And so many people do that, which is still a plus of ROI. I mean, in, in general, I mean, you just, you're, did the edge in the five minute, you're just capturing some upside there, but it's not optimal. But I know so many people that take advantage of the three mans, five mans, triple ups by, that's like you said. They'll go into a slate and look at the look at the optimals around the industry and go, I could play a lineup that's like 0.3 in NBA especially, mm-hmm. like 0.3 less and drop 20% ownership. And then that all of you and then they don't even play double ups anymore. They're just I'm just gonna enter all the triple ups and three mans and and play yeah. that lineup. I only have to win, I don't have to win half the time. I just have to win 40% of the time and I'm profitable because I'm making extra money that way. But 
The only reason that that becomes pro- like from a uh, from a game theory optimal perspective, it's because other people are playing the suboptimal lineup, not because necessarily you're playing the optimal one. Yeah, exactly. And this is where bankroll management comes. We get back to bankroll management. You have to have the bankroll once you get out of the. You know, you have to tweak. Some people just have a cash bankroll idea or cash bankroll rules. But I think you have to have some different rules for three mans and for five mans uh, than you do for your head-to-heads because there is going to be a little more of a swing. You're only going to win, you know, 40, maybe 40. I mean, you win 40, 42% of the time in your triple-ups. You're, you're, you're balling. Right, you're balling, right. You're <laughs> but at the same time, if you... Uh, you're still going to have two weeks that are going to be shit weeks, two straight weeks of just shit weeks where the, that Joey Gallo just swings and misses because he's Joey Gallo. Right. Or, um, or he gets, he gets, he, he gets two walks and that's it. It's two walks. Yeah. Um, you've got to have the money to play that same $10 three man two weeks after your two week losing streak. When he does slam that, that dong, when he does have that double dong game, you got to have that. And I think it happens the most. It happens a lot in football, too, where you have those little tweaks and projections. You know, it happens a lot in basketball. But basketball has the more efficient projections, where in, you get more variance in the NFL and definitely in MLB, where you have different types of guys who score their points in different sorts of ways, where you can get the big splash plays with the touchdowns or the home runs or even the big doubles against, you know, in a sack lineup where the guys are going to be on base versus the guy who just gets on base a lot. And maybe it's in a mediocre shit lineup. I think you can do it a lot in baseball. Well, in baseball, it's an event for driven sports. So, like, that's why I don't mind. Like, I play I play MLB GPPs, like, nutso. Everyone knows that. I play... Oh, yeah. Like, you know I'm going to have 2% on stat. You know, um, some, some random yeah, fucking I'm, team goes off. I probably got them. <laughs> I mean, I made 75K just playing the Angels almost every day. <laughs> <laughs> just in GPPs. That's not, not cash. But just in MLB GPPs, I made over 75K playing the Angels. Angels or the A's every day. And my two biggest days were Angels days. Right, because no they, the they tend to go on their own. Yeah. You had two of the best home run hitters in the game. And Rendon and uh, Trout, no one wants to play him. Well, don't mind if I do, you know. I thought you were going to yeah, say pool. Uh, I thought you were going to say pools for a second. <laughs> <laughs> pools. Well, you get a, a catcher, and this is something that people don't look at a lot. With uh, they're starting to look at it more barrel rate, but they had a catcher in Jason Castro with you know a high barrel rate, like against a high contact pitcher. Fucking why not? Be two percent owned. There's three for my sack. What else do I need here? What else do I need to fill out a lineup card? Put it together, right? Know. But you use use those West Coast teams. Me, I'm like, when I if if I I get I I get the DMs all the time. Whenever the Marlins or the Pirates or the Tigers or one of those teams yeah. puts up 16 runs, like I get the, I get the messages. <laughs> Your vomit, right? Uh, up? Uh, did you win? How much money are you winning? Whatever. And a, a lot of times I don't have them. A lot of times it's like I don't end up having them. It's a different or or I butt bits and pieces or something, but. But th- that I've made the most amount of money off of those. Those are the the Mariner, you know, like the Mariners as like garbage vomit, oh, yeah. right? When, when yeah. like no one's more than like thirty eight hundred because they're horrible. Because oh, yeah, it's cheap and no one wants to play them. Right, but you know? but if you can, what I do, Alex, is when I play MLB GPPs, I do very similar type of mentality that that you're thinking of. I know I'm going to play X amount of dollars 
per slate, percentage-wise. And I know that out of that allocation in GPP, 20 to 25% is in vomit stacks. Like, it's just like, I've committed to like, I'm going to play vomit stacks in and, and, and a quarter of my portfolio of lineups every single day. It'll hit maybe once or twice. And hopefully that makes up everything for then some. But like, I'll, I'll look and it's like, okay, I guess if, if, if there's two 10K pitchers that are worth playing, they're all, I'll always have vomits that whatever, it could be the Orioles, it could be, out. right, or it could be a little bit of each. I may have five of each. I mean, it could be like, oh, I have five stacks of the Tigers, five stacks of the Pirates, five stacks of the Marlins, five, only because if I do the five mans of those, I could, I could have Cole and DeGrom in my lineup at the same time, right? I could build one of those types of lineups. And it's like, well, I hope today's the day that uh, the Pirates go up at 12 runs, right? I, and if it's not, maybe it's tomorrow. <laughs> maybe it's the next day. Maybe right. it's, I mean, but that's, but Alex, that comes from a, a large sample size type of thinking. Like you mentioned before with the bankroll management of, oh, I'm going to play 40% of my bankroll today. You know, like it's not long-term thinking of, I'm playing MLB GPPs with the vomit stacks in that 20 to 25% of my portfolio. Not as if like I need to make money this slate. It's like, it's a strategy that I'm committed to for 180, 200 slates. So it's like, if I don't hit today, who cares? I don't hit tomorrow. Who cares? I don't like, I've already mentally in my bankroll. If I'm playing $300 worth of vomit stacks a day and I'm playing 200 slates, it's like, well, I'm committing $60,000 into vomit stacks. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, I, well, some of them will min cash or whatever, but like I'm doing that from the very beginning. I'm not saying like a week later, well, maybe I don't play vomit stacks on this slate. Maybe no, it's like, no, it's very similar to the NBA cash games that are what I'm doing with the Roto Grinders projections. It's like my slip, my, my, I'm not changing it based on the slate or anything. It's just like I've committed day one. My $20,000 that I've invested is gone and I'm not cashing out until to the pot to right till the end of the end of the season. Right. So like no matter what the swings are or anything, it's just like 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%, just keep on going. And if I, if it's six days in a row, I lose, who cares? It's like, it's like the slate isn't over. I still have PMR left until the end. So just like in baseball with the vomit stacks or how this is all of Jeep. This is all of DFS play of, we say in poker, right? But we we know we know the phrase in poker. Poker's just one long game, right? Well, if you're not playing tournaments, if you play, right, if you're not playing cash, if you're playing cash games in poker, oh, I'm gonna get up to now. Session. What no. was that? All one long, all one long session. It's just all one right. I've been so, playing one long session since 2003. Right. In poker. Yeah. But man, I went broke a couple times. Like I stress bankroll management because I've gone broke. I went broke in 2007 real bad. Then I went broke again uh, in 2009. Then I had to pay a bunch of people back a lot of money, <laughs> which is not fun. Um, and I never want to go broke again. So I preach bankroll management because, you know, you don't have to go broke. You don't have to borrow money. You don't have to be destitute. You know, you don't have to go through struggles. A lot of people have done the work for you, so to speak. A lot of us have gone broke in the past. And I never want to do it again. Look, the two, uh, you know, I mentioned the 75000 I made in MLB GPPs. If you take away my two biggest days, I was down 10000 Right. If those two days I decided not to play or I just 
made a couple tweaks and only made half that, whatever. Or let's say I just made the wrong decision and went with the chalk stacks, you know, instead of playing my own game. I would have lost maybe ten, twelve thousand dollars on LMB GPPs. But I have to with, I have to be able to withstand the losses on any given day, 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 because it's not about a day to me. It's about not even a full season. It's just about the long run of one long session. Can I afford to lose for a month straight? Can I afford to lose for three months straight? We joked about basketball earlier, and it's like, whatever. So I lost 5000 It's not a bragging that I lost 5000 It could be $500. It's not about the $500. It's not about the losing. It's about playing well and making plus EV plays over the long run. And eventually the profit, the profit comes. Right, it's all one long. That, 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 I mean, it's all one long session. I've said in poker, where people, when uh, you know, I ran a room in New York City, and you know, someone would be up eight hundred dollars on the night. It's like I'm going to leave because I'm going to leave up, right? And it's a good play, and it's a good player. It's a, I mean, whatever. I'm going to leave eight hundred dollars up because to feel good for the night, right? And I go, I go if if you saw this game tomorrow, like with the people that are in it and the action that's in it, would you would you sit no. down? They go, yeah. So I said. Are you tired? Are you not playing up. well? So what? Just said said yeah, but I don't want to. I don't want to give it back. I said, but what happens if you gave it back tomorrow? Like what? What is the time? If you cashed out now, walked around the block, and then walked back in and mm. bought in again and pretended it was tomorrow, what would? What mm. does any of this matter? What do these arbitrary periods matter? They is the game good now? Are there are there are there whales exactly. at the table? And the action's good, and you're getting paid off on your hands. Like, then sit down and make make. Would you rather you'd rather cash out now and come back tomorrow and see the the eight nits at the table? And because it's tomorrow, that you're gonna play in that game. Like, no, you should play as long as you can tonight, and then take off tomorrow if anything, because the game is good now. So the arbitrary period yeah. of like, I gotta leave up, I got, I can't leave down, or like, all those things are just. Those are those logical fallacies that we talked about in the beginning of like, mm-hmm. like how the human mind works of like, it's a psychological thing of like, I, oh, I want to leave up. And it's like, well, what does yeah. up mean? What does up mean? What, what is, what, what, what does it mean? Are you, are you quitting poker today? Right. I say that in DFS, <laughs> right. When, when people, when people, when people are like, oh, I, 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 I got to play safe today. I'm going to play, you know, whatever. And they play safe lineups and it's like. Well, I don't want to lose two hundred dollars. It's like, well, I mean, are you not going to play tomorrow? Is DFS over? Yeah. Like, if you don't win today, is DF does, does, does DFS not exist tomorrow? Because if it doesn't exist tomorrow, then I can understand why you're going for broke today. I can. I, you want to play one hundred percent of your bankroll today because DFS, the whole world is ending tomorrow. God bless you. That's optimal. Okay, but we're going to be here tomorrow. <laughs> to that end, you know, if you. Uh... If you're like, I do this a lot of times, especially in baseball, I'd say this happens to me maybe once a week. In basketball, it's happened to me maybe twice a week with GPPs. If I feel like I'm too chalky, not building really good, just unregister from fucking tournaments. Right, just say fuck <laughs> just it. take the night off. I'm just right. like, I can't do it right now. No mas, you know, tomorrow. Right, there'll be no another tomorrow. game tomorrow, right? Yeah. Um, there'll be plenty of games tomorrow and there'll be plenty of better plays and maybe my head will just be in a better place. I'm just not seeing it right now. And that's part of managing a bankroll. You know, you see, you talk about that guy at the table. One of the things you said, are you tired? 
right? Like, it's not just about the, the assholes, the fish at the table. It's also, hey, are you feeling good? You playing well? Keep playing well. If you're not playing well, if your head's not there, fuck it. Just take the night off. Click optimize, fill in some cash lineups, and have fun with that. Right. Just like what I did on Saturday with MMA. I'm like, I'm not playing NBA exactly. tonight, but I have nothing else to do tonight. There's nothing on Netflix, but there's MMA, and I enjoy I, I over the COVID break, I, I've, I've gotten, okay, MMA is a kind of enjoyable sport to watch. I, I, I get it. I get it now. But I didn't want the mental, I like, I already decided earlier that day that I was taking DFS the day off. I was just like, I don't want to have to think about it. I don't want, to, I don't, I, I just want to, I just want to veg out on the couch. But it's like, well, yeah, I could have played an MMA lineup. It's just like, no, fuck it. I'm just going to walk, like, you know what? There's going to be a slate tomorrow. There's going to be a slate. Like, I don't have to, you don't have to play. Right. And, and but you, you don't hear many people saying that, you know, like <laughs> you don't, you don't hear many people in the industry. I mean, we have like Travis Mangone, no days off. He can't take a single goddamn day off. And also we have like, uh, like, I think, I think Leone has, has said he, he's had to get over that the FOMO of like, is this the day that I'm going to bink? Like, cause especially if you're a GPP only player, like, you win in yeah. large sample sizes. So it's like you, you're going to lose yeah. like 360 days of the year for five days. And it's like, yeah. you have to think in your head, it's like, well, I'm just going to run my lineups. I'm going to do my process. And maybe today, today's the day I'm going to win $100,000, $500,000. And if I take off today, maybe, maybe today was the day I was supposed that I would have won. And it prevents <laughs> people from taking the day off. Me, I don't fall into that trap because I don't care. But I can understand how people could be like, well, my whole goal is to bink once or twice or three times a year, so I can't afford to have a smaller sample size, so I can't take the day off. I kind of, I think of it like you, like poker. You know, the money's there. Money will be there tomorrow. There will be some fish there tomorrow. If not, they'll be there next week. There'll be great opportunities. There's a slate to break somewhere along the line, and if I can break the slate today, I can break it next week. If I can't break the slate today, maybe I can't break it next week, but maybe I break it two months from now. Um, but if I need to take a break, I need to take a fucking break. And, and, and if you're not playing contests that night, the best thing to do, this is another thing that people do the opposite way. They don't understand that, 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 that they don't know what's in their best interest. Uh, you should never be, you should always be rooting for bad lineups to win GPPs. If it's not going to be your, obviously oh, you should yeah. root for yourself. But I don't get the, uh, like, if, if, if Osimo is in first place, if Brick75 is in first, if he wins the 100K, you, you're most likely not going to see that money. Like, it's like in poker. Like, if you're, if <laughs> yeah. you're sitting at the table, if you're sitting at a nine-handed table, and, you're, and you're, you're playing with a couple of good players and a couple of bad players, like, the worst thing to yeah. see when you're not in a hand is a sharp player stack, <laughs> yeah. a, stack a whale. Because it's like, I'm not going to get the money from that. I want, I can get it from him. I can't get it from that guy. So like, but so many casual DFS players look at like garbage lineups and go, well, this is a random shit. Like, look how, look how this stupid guy won. He played this guy in the, he played the pinch hitter and he got there and won a GPP or something like that. It's like, dude, that, that, that's, you, you, you know what you say at the poker table, Alex? Nice hand, sir. Nice, nice hand, right? Nice hand, yeah. nice hand sir. And you move on yeah. to the next hand. Good job, buddy. Good job, right? Yeah. Way to go, right? Like it shouldn't be complaining. I say well played. 
Right. No, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't lie. I don't say well played because it's not. No, maybe not well played. Um, you know, there's a fish at the poker tables a lot um, on the weekends. There are a lot of them on the weekends, but especially Friday, Saturday online, you know, weekend warriors and whatnot. And I tend to get tired after because I play all week and I'm playing DFS. So Friday nights around 10 o'clock, I start to get a little tired. But if those fish are at the table, I grab a Red Bull. Because <laughs> like I got three kids to feed, you know, <laughs> I'm not going like I'm not going. Oh, I'm up, you know, four hundred dollars. I'll take my take my profit and go to bed, you know. But but you're they, but you're very like similar you said, to me. Like, but you're also similar to me. Like I don't like when I play poker. I I I never berated any. I never. I I, I want people to enjoy playing with me. I mean, I play primarily live, so it's a, a lot more different than playing online. But playing live, and especially in New York City underground games, you're dealing with a very similar clientele. Like you're, you may be playing with people that you've been playing with for a year or two. I mean, around town or whatever. Uh, so you don't want to have a reputation of people that don't want to play with you, right? They may acknowledge that you're a great player. That you're that they almost want to play against you because they want to beat you. They'll talk to you before they the game, right? They'll. They, I, I've had so many people that uh, in, in New York City that talk to me that uh, anytime I'd see them, because I'd play against them maybe once or twice. I'd see them in the clubs, you know, once or twice a week. And they'd, they always would re- reminisce on the time, the one the one time that they got me, right? Like, remember when I bluffed you out of that? Or like when they took 300 bucks off of me in some hand, and I'll be like, yeah, that was that was nuts and whatever. But they don't realize that I've, I've, like, I've made like 15,000 off of them. Like, let them, let them have their moment. Right? Don't say, well, that was a shit play and you got lucky. Let them have their money. That's the whole point of this game. That's why there's a balance of skill and luck. If there was no luck in this game, you wouldn't be able to get any action. So in order to get the action, you have to acknowledge the fact that there's luck and allow the people that get lucky to have the illusion that it's skill. Because isn't isn't that isn't as a poker player isn't at, from a from a political entertainment like from a, a, a an attitude how you exude your table image in a way should exude that when you win a hand you should act as if you got lucky and when someone mm. else wins a hand a bad player wins a hand you should act like they're good like should, isn't that the correct oh, I wanna, you know. I had this happen to me just now. I, I had uh, six, seven suited. I had six, seven hearts in the big blind. Uh, cut off, wrote, uh, raised, uh, made a min raise, and then the button called, and then it came to me. And it was a good spot for a squeeze. I wasn't really playing aggressive. So I made a squeeze, um, and the button called. Cold called twice. The, the cutoff seat guy didn't call. Came down four, five of spades with a 10 of hearts. So I had a backdoor flush draw and a straight draw, open and straight draw. I made a small bet uh, for about a third of the pot. He min-raised me. I was like, either this guy is slow playing aces or he's like dicking around with eights or nines or something like that, you know? He doesn't have a flush draw, he'd bet a lot bigger. And uh, I shoved all in. And he ended up calling me with pocket nines, which is not, it's kind of a weird play. It was a coin flip situation though. You know, right. I mean, I had the open and straight draw. I had some hand outs. And I ended up uh, hitting the eight on the river. And I put, sorry, dude, I fucked up. You know, in the chat. I just put, sorry, dude, I fucked right. up. Right. 
a totally reasonable play, but he was a bad player. I want him to. Truthfully, his play was right worse thing. than his play was worse than your play. Oh yeah, because I could. I mean, how many? A million times I have jacks there or queens. Or, right, right. Know, the, like, the, the amount, the amount, the amount of combinations in your range that he is dead. He is he is two outs to is just way yeah. too much. But yeah, but my response, you know, I think my response is it's one of a mature gambler. It's just yeah, make him think that he was making a skillful move, mm-hmm. make him think that I made the lucky move, and make him think that I'm remorseful for it. Right, like right. They get some gratification out of that. Right. And the guy rebought, you know. I don't know if that's why he rebought, but it probably made him feel better about rebuying. Didn't make him feel worse, you know. Right, but I mean but 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 to me that's the attitude have in DFS many people have the have the bad attitude of like when anyone else wins it's because they're lucky. And when you win it's skill you should you should you know, maybe you maybe you think that in maybe in, think that internally, right? There are plenty of people that win in DFS that I think are horrible, okay? Do I go on Twitter and fucking call people out and shit? No, no, I don't. I want the bad players to have the money, all right? Because they're going to give it back. So that's perfectly fine. You show your screenshots all you want. I'm just like, thank you for thank you for keeping the money in the ecosystem, right? That's what ecosystem. I care about. Yeah, yeah. Bad players need to have money. The shark need, sharks need fish to eat. Right, so the more money that you and I, you know, we're not Brian Hooper, we're not Alex Baker, like we're profitable DFS players, but we're not them, right? Right. We really need those fish. (laughs) (laughs) We really, really need those fish, especially when NFL cash games come around and we put in our fifties and our one hundreds. You know, those like kind of once you get past the twenty five dollar level, that's where you know those guys tend to pay a little more attention and they start really scooping and like. I don't want those guys scooping my games. I want the bad players to have 50 bucks to play my head-to-head. Right. You know? And they're, if they're losing it all playing 100 lineups and GPPs, like, then I see I see the top, I see the, the you know, the the large field GPPs and all the all the, the sharp players are winning. It's like, they're sucking, they're sucking the money out. I don't, I don't, I don't want to see yeah. that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But the, but the thing is, is you can't, you can't, you can't have the attitude. I think it's 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 detrimental to your mental health as well as being able to play well yes. to constantly have the attitude that I'm unlucky and everyone else is lo- like to have that like oh I faded the I faded the guy that was bad chalk was bad chalk and everyone else played him and he went off how lucky is everyone else and uh you know, I'm going to like to me you can't approve that way and if you even think, even if you're right, you'd rather have the bad players think that they played well. Well, even if you're right, you're not going to have a strong sense of self-reflection after the fact. Even if you're right, if you have that mindset, you're not going to enter the evaluation process the next morning or whatever it is, whenever you look through your lineups and look through lineups of people. Who, you know, I'm like you. I look through lineups of people who've won and good players and see what they did with their lineups, whether they won or not. Um, I think if you have that mindset, you can't accurately reflect on your own play. But so most people don't. Bias, but my, but Alex, truthfully, most people don't reflect at their own play. Most, most, I would say, I would say, 98% of people, even that play regularly, DFS, don't. Re- but once they wake up in the morning, 
yesterday's slate is like didn't exist. It's like it's what's going on today. Yeah, you're probably right. You're to me, right. I think that's complete. I mean, I, I I say this with bias because I literally that's how I learned how to play DFS. Like I learned five yeah. and a half. I mean, I still do the same process that I did five and a half years ago, playing soccer with Saramek and Pew and old T, all the soccer regs that are still there, and going, mm-hmm. I I know soccer, Alex. I've been following the Premier League for a long time. I know soccer. I I should be able to beat these people. I know I know soccer. The first three months playing MLS, like okay, I know MLS. I know soccer. I was like break even. Like didn't do poorly, but I would look at some of these lineups that they were playing and go, "Well, why'd you pick that guy? Why'd you? I don't. I don't. I never. I didn't get their line. I'd like. I would share a couple of players. Like okay, obvious. This is an obvious play. That's an obvious play. And then go, why'd they? Like they, they were playing a $3,800 guy that went for like 17 points in soccer. And I'm like, how did they had, and I would see them all, all of those guys lineups and go, how did they know to play that guy? This is me like three months in, right? So what do you do? You fucking, you study it. You, what, what do they know that I don't? Because we didn't have soccer, proje- especially, I mean, exactly. this is soccer. Wasn't even like there weren't projections or anything. It's just like, how were they building? Why, why did these lineups win? And then I just continued, like, and then slowly and surely, my lineup started to look a lot like their lineups. And, oh, now I'm making hundreds of dollars a slate, thousands. And that's when I start, that's when my ascent started happening. Not because I was reading articles on who to play, because there weren't any articles on who to play. It was soccer DFS, barely any content. All I had to do was, like, I'm just going to download the CSV, and I'm just going to look. Look at all Saramex lineups. Look at all the Pew's lineups. Look at all of OT. Just and go. Okay, where did I go wrong? Where did I go right? Where did? Why did they? Uh, I now I understand why they played that. Oh, uh, they punted at defender so they could fit in that. Now, oh, okay, I get, yeah. I get. And then you, then you get better that way. So like, I'm biased yeah. because let's like, let's literally how I learned how to play, and I can't turn that off. I have to when I wake up in the morning and get on my computer. I mean, now I obviously have a show that's focused around it, but I'm I'm so used to it at eleven o'clock in the morning. The first thing I do is go to Results DB on Roto Grinders, and it may not be like I'm not spending two hours on it anymore. But I when when I was in 2006 when I started playing NBA and MLB in 2017, I would spend three four. I mean, I would spend hours because yeah. that's how I learn. I, I how else am I going to learn how to play? Now I know what I'm looking for, so it's just like. Okay, what did people decide to do with this guy? What did people decide to do with that? What type of lineups did, did this guy make? And, and I look around, and maybe I spend 5, 10, 15 minutes. But I still do that. I can't, Alex, I can't not do it. Because it's just like, that's in, to me, that's part of playing DFS. When I started, uh, I didn't start playing baseball GPPs until 2019. It was after the All-Star break. Have you noticed the cash kind of starts to dry up in MLB a little bit after the All Star break? It's in just every sport, it's like, but it's like that in every you sport. Know? I don't play as much NBA since, like I said, I took the last four years off of NBA, so I didn't, you know, really notice it. But I started noticing pinching more, so I was like, maybe I should learn to play tournaments. Like out of the blue, there's a lot of money in there. So I spent the last, I spent August and September in 2019 just playing uh, hundred bands, the FanDuel hundred bands, like alongside of my cash games. And what I would do is I'd play, uh, I think it's like a $5 rally. The rally was like $5 back then, and I'd play that. And I'd look for the top players, 
you know, and look for what they were doing. And that's how I learned to play vomit sacks. <laughs> the best players were playing these teams. And here was I, a cash player for six, six years straight. Right. Like, what the fuck are you stacking, you know, the Tigers for? Like, you know, Miguel Cabrera is the only one who can touch the ball and he's out of the lineup. Why are you playing? But that's why, you know. Some, that's how I learned, though. I didn't learn that, you know, you came along and started saying, play whoever you want, giving out the secrets and shit. But uh, <laughs> I have a little bit of resentment. <laughs> for that. But people don't listen, Alex, but you people see. People don't listen anyway. People, people don't, don't listen. listen. You're, you're, at, you're in the chat during the pregame show that I do on Roto-Grinders five days a week. I've, it's, it, you could, uh, half the stuff I say, I'm saying again, like, if you watched it a month ago, I've said the same thing and, and it, you get the same questions from the same people and people still don't do like, like what's there to be resentful for? You take the class, the 15 hour audio DFS masterclass at theoryofdfs.com. It explains all the concepts. This isn't like, the, to me, this isn't like hard stuff or anything, but no. like, it's that, it's that, like we mentioned with that worldview shift of like, I know basketball, I know, and to get into, that's why for po- like, like me and you, it's so much easier because like, Coming from poker, if you were a good poker player, getting DFS concepts should be very, not not overnight. It still took me months to apply similar types of things and over. But just like in, in poker, you're constantly thinking probabilistically. You're constantly weighing 12 different variables in your head at once and go, well, I've seen, like, like, even when you play live, you have to add variables of, is, is the guy on tilt? Is the guy, like, did I beat him out of, out of a big hand an hour ago? And now, now he thinks, now he thinks he wants the money back. So he's like overplaying his hand. So like, I need to change his hand ranges. It's like, like, well, he raised here and he bet, like, you're always thinking, but you're not thinking of like a specific hand. Oh, he has ace queen. Or, oh, yeah. he has like, you're thinking of, like 60% of the time he's bluffing here, 40% of the time he has the nuts, right? It's one of those polarized range type of situations. And then you just look at the pot and you go, should I call in this spot? If I believe that it's 60-40 like this, is this a call or a fold? And then whatever it is, it is. And then not being so results oriented and go, well, it's, it's like, you know, you're going to bet $2 into a $2,000 pot and I have any chance of winning a showdown, I'm calling it, it's more of a mistake to fold there, getting a thousand to one. As long as you have a hand that beats basically a missed fucking draw, like you should, you should spend the $2 there, but that's only because of probability, not because of what I think his hand is. It's that, yes, as long, as long as he's, as long as he's, he has seven high, uh, half a percent at a time, I would, I should call the $2, but People in DFS typically don't think that way when it comes to basketball player performance or, you know, lineup construction or any of those types of variables. But in poker, like you're, you're doing that like constantly, like you're, you're doing that every day, playing online, multiple tables that you constantly have to make those things, those decisions. Mm -hmm. So it's so much easier to go into a, just a single slate on a day game of baseball and go, What's oh, the probability for an hour or two? Are you kidding me? That's so much easier. Right. I can let a slate simmer in my head. I can go and sit in my chair for 30 minutes and stare at the ceiling after I look at the projections and come back to my computer and make lineups that are profitable. Right. I can do that in poker. Like, I, I got to 
you know, hey, I got three kids to feed. <laughs> you know? Right. Well, you also have to. I mean, the time you'll time out or something, right? You'll you know, right. You have to make I'll those decisions time for a minute. You know. Right. So, do you think it would be more beneficial for 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 DFS players that have never played poker to get into poker? It depends on the DFS player. You know, if they're thinking probabilistically, if they're thinking in terms of projections, if they're thinking in terms of numbers, if they're thinking in terms of game theory instead of how do I apply my basketball knowledge to my basketball GPP lineups, sure. Why not? I actually think poker's a far easier game than DFS. No, I agree with you. Because there are set... You can play a formulaic game of poker at the lower stakes, like anywhere $200 and lower, and you can be a very profitable player. You can make ten big blinds an hour. You can make, you know, you can play two tables of fifty cent one dollar poker online, hundred dollar game, ten big blinds an hour on two tables. You make twenty dollars an hour. You know, in DFS, making twenty twenty dollars an hour, it's a lot harder to get to the point where you make twenty dollars an hour. I think it really is. I think it's really hard to beat the rake. I've learned. I haven't learned much until. Uh, I had a couple scores in baseball, and Jamino messaged me saying, like, congrats, you know, big night. I was like, yeah, you know, I had just had, like, three terrible weeks, and I had the one big bank, and I had two terrible weeks before that. And I mentioned that. He said, do you realize that being as profitable as you are, you're in, like, a top single-digit percentage of players? I said, no. I honestly had never thought of it that way. And he put that in perspective, and I realized this is a lot harder than poker. Right, there are a lot more profitable poker players than there are profitable DFS players. Sure, most definitely, most definitely. But also, what's easier about poker versus uh, DFS is poker is played with a deck of fifty-two cards. I mean, for most poker games, I mean, obviously, there's some you know the weird fancy games or whatever. They may add jokers and cards and who knows. To, but the main yeah, poker the games probabilities have, are concrete. Right, right. You, it's it's easy to it's easy to think in terms of like what are the chances of you getting an un, an unpaired two un, two unpaired face cards or the probability of getting a pocket pair or the probability of hitting a set on the flop. Like those those are like you could you could memorize that. You don't need you don't need a, a HUD. You don't need a a solver for that type of stuff. Like it's 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 mm-hmm. there. What's the pot? What's the, like, it's a zero-sum game when it comes to the pot. Only one person's going to win the pot. Yeah, occasionally there'll be split pots. But you're like, I put in $5, I could win 100 That's 20 to 1. You're like, you, you, there's no second places. There's no, like, what are the equity spots of a payout structure in, in, in a DFS contest? Uh, and then yeah. the probabilities of hands coming out are are, like you said, concrete. While for a player, well, it's a range of outcomes of, of, outcomes. Of, of so many other things like there's no like there's no like you can't just get a a fifth of a flush and be like well i uh, do does he have two fifths of a flush well he went like you need to complete a hand an actual hand and i think that's what makes uh dfs more challenging to non-probabilistic thinkers is yes. that that it's easy to explain the probability of a poker hand because it's it's concrete, it's finite. It's it there's only 52 cards. What are the chances that you get uh uh a set uh, on the, on the one card to come? Well, let's see. You have two cards in your hand. There's four on the board. There's six. 
So that's six seen cards. There's 46 unseen cards. There's two cards in the deck that make you a set. So two out of 46 is 23 to one. I mean, like, it's easy to do that and say, are you getting 23 to one in order to make your call? Yeah. No. Yes. There's your decision. Easy. Done. Concrete. But then let's say you put into a place, same exact situation. You go, what are the chances that Danilo Gallinari will score at least 22 points? And it's like, well, how many cards? There's no cards. There's no, there's nothing. There's, it's just like, well, well, you could, what you could do is you could put in the median amount of minutes and the meet you could, now I'm explaining projections. And then you simulate out 10,000 times and you go, well, if we play this out 10,000 times, he'll score 22 points, uh, more than 22 points, let's say uh, 30% of the time. And you go, okay, well, now you, now, now you know that you need, you know, three to one, three and a half to one in order to, like, but people don't think, in poker, people think in terms of, they could, they could see, even the people that are bad players could see that, oh, I only have two cards to win, and there's 40-ish cards, there's a low chance, but you say, you know, how many points is someone going to score in a basketball game? They start thinking in terms of extreme, con- either they will score it or they won't, right? Mm-hmm. Well, Dale Dillon, no, he has no chance. Or 22 points? Oh, absolutely. 100% of the time, 97% of the time, right? Yeah. But he would never say that in poker. No one would No one would go, well, on this hand, what, what's the chance of you making a flush? Well, on this hand, I, I, think, I think for this specific hand, I think I think it's even money, but on the next hand it may be seven to one. It's like you can't there's those don't exist. You can't possibly yeah. be different. It's the same probability. Yeah. yeah, I've had a lot of arguments lately on the difference between um, a DFS projection and like a psychic prediction, um, and that's kind of a big that's a big wall that I think people struggle to break down when they see a projection. They they automatically think. Oh, uh, you know, Giannis is projected for 53.1, and uh, Jokic is projected for 52.2. Therefore, Jokic is the worst play. It's a terrible play. Um, (laughs) And Giannis ends up scoring 70, and Jokic ends up scoring 45. Ah, see? That Jokic projection was terrible. (laughs) I did. Because he didn't didn't actually score 52.2. First off, like 52.2 is really hard to pinpoint, but uh, you know people don't see the difference between a forecasting a range of outcomes and predicting the future. But Those people want to predict the future. Exclusive. Right, but but people oh, yeah. think that they're playing a game where you're predicting the future, and I'm not. I'm not. Right. I'm, yeah, I'm playing a game of probabilities. What's probable to happen versus the versus then the next level of what other people are thinking is most probable to happen versus what is most probable that they think will happen and how probable are they to follow that direction. Right. And then it goes to, you know, then it goes to some other levels before it gets to my decision making of, you know, am I going to play Giannis Jokic or neither? And then also the versus the payout that you get for playing them. Well, that's obviously one of the others. Right. Well, that's <laughs> expected know? value. I mean, to, to, to me, to <laughs> me, I mean, everything comes down to, to expected value. To, how to arrive to EV. Right. You know, and I just use a player, not a lineup, just to illustrate a point. Right. But that's how I look at lineups, uh, how to build a lineup. 
because you know I use that same example of Giannis or Jokic. Well, if Jokic is if you're giving up five proje- five project five projected points on Jokic, but you're only giving up point five on Randall to go from Giannis down to Randall, you know you start making easier decisions when the projections are you know when you get positional scarcity and that that crafts your whole lineup. And the thing is, the optimizers they know this. The optimizers take into take into uh, into account positional scarcity when they optimize. That's why sometimes you know the highest ceiling guy or the highest projected points guy in raw points they don't show up in the optimal lineups a lot of times. Because sometimes the lineup build requires that you have more mid range players in your lineups, and the secondary high tier the second tier player in that top quote you know the top dollar spot and you leave out the top the top dollar player well well, that's why you see but that's why with lineup construction you see a lot of times like on FanDuel where if a position is very weak with value that that's where you're going to spend up that's where you're going to get your raw points because Mm -hmm. you know small forward is just a there's no 4k small forward worth play they're all overpriced so it's like well I guess you're playing LeBron there I guess you're playing like LeBron may not be the highest raw points player, but for the basis of a nine player lineup, he's much better to play for raw points than than Luca when you have like two point guards that are like two K underpriced. And it's like, no, you're getting more value by playing those point guards, even though Luca is the technically the highest raw point projected player on the slate. But the but this is thinking in terms of lineups and not players. But many mm-hmm. people like you said, as the example would go, well, I'll play Luca over LeBron without taking into account that Luca lineups are actually worse than LeBron lineups, even though in a vacuum, if you ask me, who do you play? I'd say, yeah, you play Luca. But Luca lineups are worse. So mm-hmm. but I mean that's one of those that's one of those those barriers. But the question that comes in, Alex, how how do we I I try to I don't think I'm I'm wholly successful in breaking those barriers in in teaching. I consider myself a decent teacher, but I'm also an asshole. So I I tend to be blunt <laughs> and everything. It is is what what is a better way if there is one of like breaking those barriers down? I I, mean, I know your answer is we shouldn't be because we want to keep the edge to ourselves. But think outside of ourselves. What, 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 what? What's a better way? I think this this sums up a lot of the stuff we said in the beginning about players that you know want things that are technically against their best interests, but it makes them feel better. Like how how do we teach DFS better to people where it's not just like here are the plays for the day because we both know that that's kind of bullshit. Like what 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 is the better better methodology? Of, of 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 learning how to play DFS outside of like well play whatever you, look at projections and play whatever you want because even that people struggle with like mm-hmm. what what is there a better way I don't know but I think one thing as one thing you touched on you know do we do we want to because then we could create better players I would say as content creators um, first and foremost I'm a human being and I have ethics. I'm not going to take money for something and do the job half half asked. So if I'm collecting any, well, I'm collecting a dollar, right? Like I have a law degree. If someone gives me a dollar, 
and says, you know, you're my lawyer, right? Here's a dollar. You're my lawyer. Here's a, here's a dollar. You know, I'm going to tell you some deep, dark fucking secrets. I'm not going to share those secrets, period. So if I'm going to collect a dollar to write an article and uh, I'm not going to hold back, I want to help people, the people who choose to read the article. And there are going to be plenty of fish left over. There'll be, there's plenty of fish to go around. I mean, I, again, I didn't see this until Jamino kind of lit the light bulb in my head of like, there's like 90, 95% of people out there losing. If we can help 5% of those people become winners, well, then they'll consume our content and we'll make it back in that way. And there'll still just be more fish that'll come along. Like the fish will always be there. As for actually helping those people, I think it really comes down to that quote from Baseball Beyond the Numbers. The human brain is a terrible computer. And if people can't understand that, they can't, I don't know what to do with you. I can't help you. Like if, I mean, I deal with logic and reason. I've taught constitutional law for 12 years. And if someone can't grasp reason and logic, I, I can't help you. But the people who can, who are willing to listen to the fact that their human brain is far less efficient, far less effective than whatever device is crunching the numbers, they have a chance. They won't become winning DFS players tomorrow or in a couple of months or maybe even this MLB season, but they have a chance. There's hope for them. Say that so seriously. It almost feels like we're solving world hunger. <laughs> hey, when there's a chance. Involved, <laughs> shit is serious when it comes to, you know, there are people losing their shirts out there. So this is some serious business. I think, like, I fuck around and I joke around on Twitter and tell, we crack stupid jokes and shit, but people are losing money out there. People are maxing out credit cards, you know? Like, there are people who are struggling because they're terrible DFS players. Right, they should be putting it into top shots, right? Oh, God, don't get me started with top shots. <laughs> I don't fucking understand that shit. I, I, I wish I did understand the shit because there's money there, but there's the money's going to go elsewhere, right? Like, the, money's, the money would come from my poker bankroll and then it's not making money paying poker. Or it goes away from, you know, blockchains on uh, blockchain ETFs and I'm not making money on blockchain ETFs and so whatever. I understand. I, I, I just, I, I don't think it's a prudent investment. Maybe for the short term, if you get, it's one of those, th it's the greater fool theory. I mean, I don't want to invest in anything that involves the greater, greater fool theory. Where I think it's reasonable. Where, but, but basically is, it, it's just, uh, it has no value. It's just a, the value comes from finding someone that's willing to pay more than it. And hopefully, you get out at the top. Like, and I'm perfectly, uh, see, my, my attitude with a lot of this stuff, like you said, with the integrity of you get paid a dollar, you're giving your 100% your all. My, I'm, 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 I come from the attitude as, as long as you're honest, it's kind of weird to say, as long as you're honest about being dishonest, I could respect you. So, like, for for instance, like, if you if, if people if people are like, yeah, top shots uh, are are flash in the pan, but uh, I think I could jump in and make a ton of money and get a bunch of idiots to buy shit that they shouldn't be buying and get out with a half a million dollars. Like, to me, I could, I, I I'll uh, shit if I could do that, I fucking do it also. Like, I I get that. Like, if, if I don't I don't mind. I I listen to these podcasts that they you know they talk about con men. Like I, I, I like I like American greed, that type of stuff. And I can respect like the ones that I respect are the ones that are like the most upfront about like, no, no, this is a scam, but I think we could make a lot of money on this scam. And it's like yeah. like okay, I, I 
I could buy into that. And if everyone's if everyone's in on the scam and things go wrong, and that you end up on American greed, it's like I could root. I could I could root for that guy, but not the person that's scamming people that don't get that their investment is going to their lavish life, like it's not actually going to the stocks or the whatever equities that they're, you know, it's a Ponzi scheme of some type. So that, to me, that's, that's it's the same thing in DFS, same thing in poker, same thing for everything. It's like, like, as long as you're upfront about like what it is that, that, that you're doing, like, I, I don't care. Like pe- people, people complain to me and they go, uh, don't you find it uh, shady or whatever that all you're doing is pressing the optimize button and, and making money. I go, why, why? I'm not claiming it's anything else. Legit, you're not right? Kidding. I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going on and saying, "Aren't I brilliant at NBA DFS?" I'm saying, "No, I'm literally doing using no brain power." Like I'm. I'm not. To me, I wouldn't respect someone that would 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 do the same thing, but then just like boast and beat their chest and go, "No, I knew this guy was going to do well," and I knew. It's like, no, I'm. I'm saying that, dude. Like I'm, and I, and I even when I started. Like this season, with the RG projections, I said this may not work. I may lose money. I don't know. Like I'm, I'm using this as a baseline. All I know is that the season before, if I would have done it, I would have made more money than playing the my my own strategy, my doing it myself. So I said, fuck it. My hypothesis is, as long as I get good enough contest selection and a good enough diversification, play across three sites. Let's see how much money I can make doing this, and if it's worth. That, and, and it's literally no time. So it's like, it's, it's infinite EV almost. So, but I'm not saying anything else. To, and then people come back and say, well, don't you think you're like, you're bastardizing. I, someone, someone, someone told, said to me uh, like a month ago, I'm bastardizing DFS. That like, this is not the way, this is not the way DFS is supposed to be played. And I said, said, I, I, my goal is to make money. Like I, I, I don't, I don't care how DFS is. As long as the sites allow me to do it, Right, like you tell the site, like yeah. what, what else? What am I? Yeah. I'm being upfront. You you may you may not agree with the the methodology and say, well, I don't find that fun or something. I could respect that, but I'm not claiming to do anything else. Other, I'm not claiming anything. I'm telling you exactly what I'm doing. And if you're like, well, it's kind of fucked up that you could just press a button and print money. I go. I agree with you. It's kind of fucked up. You can't. <laughs> I hope. I. I hope. I hope people don't do it. Also, I hope less people do it. But I'm telling you, that's what I'm doing. So, like, if you don't want to do it and don't, then don't complain when you lose. Don't say that I'm that I suck because that's what that's where it came from. Of like, I constantly lose. Someone that was losing to me on Fanduel is like, I'm losing to you all the time on Fanduel because you're bastardizing DFS. Like, I'm not pressing a button and letting a computer tell me who to play. I'm using my basketball knowledge and it's, and it's horrible. DFS has become horrible that you're able to, to use a computer and not have any basketball knowledge to beat someone that does. And I said, you know, what's horrible. Not admitting that you don't know more than the computer. Like why then just do what I'm doing then. <laughs> Stop fucking complaining. Like, isn't that the, it, we're playing to win. What the fuck? Gambler's etiquette is what you were talking about earlier of, you know, be kind don't be right, you know. Don't be right the fish, right? Number two, don't cheat. That's it. Don't be right the other people and don't cheat. Otherwise, like it's pretty much fair game. Play within the rules, and you're playing within the rules. Like the winners win and the losers lose. I'm playing in all the fifty-five on Fanduel, Alex, because I I didn't play much volume there over the five years. 
I could still play the low stakes contests. I can too. Right. It's fun. Is, isn't it great? Your ROI is so much, so much better down there. Oh, it's, oh, it's beautiful. I was, uh, I mean, I've had a terrible year in NBA GPPs, but I'm killing the hundred mans. <laughs> yeah, but, 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 but Alex, people would say that it's not fair that players as sharp as us are able to play like, dude, then complain to FanDuel. I, to FanDuel, we haven't played that much volume. DraftKings, I can't play dollar, yeah. two dollar games anymore. But like, they that's not. Out, they can kick me out. Right. If well, it, my, to kick us yeah. Right. Then have, I mean, what my my attitude is always back to them. It's like if you were in my position, wouldn't you play? Isn't your goal to play against the weakest opponents? I would say to them, if you had to choose between someone to play a head dad against, yeah. who do you want to play against? The worst opponent you can, right? Yeah. Okay. So what's wrong with what I'm doing? I'm doing exactly what you're doing. Just so happens that I could play the one and two dollar games until I get to the point where they stop me from playing those because I have enough volume there to do so. But outside of that, so I'm doing exactly the same thing. You don't want to play against the worst players in the whatever. And obviously, sometimes you get some people that are like, "I'm playing for pride." I that that's the that's the complete opposite side of the spectrum. When people people DM me saying, "I'm I'm gonna play I'm gonna play you because I want to," uh, you know, I, I'm I'm. They, they take games from sharp players because they they want like the competition, yeah. and I'm like, dude, I just care about making fucking money. I don't want to play against the fucking sharpest people. Yeah, yeah, I don't enjoy when Empire Maker scoops my games on NFL Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> Every single fucking Saturday, you block <laughs> it. Takes like a thousand dollars. On Fanduel, you can do that. Oh no, 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 Fanduel. Yeah, no, no Fanduel. That's yeah. why you post them one by one. You you hope. Yeah, I gotta get used to that. <laughs> it's a laziness. He always takes my hundreds. He'll take. I'll post like five hundreds on Friday night, and Saturday morning they're all gone. That guy just takes all the action. And he doesn't even care. Like it's not. You could look at your record against no. him and be profitable, and he still doesn't care. Like it's not like he's no. going through his head-to-head rotor tracker, going make sure to not to take these guys' games. He's literally just saying, "I'm pressing the button on everyone in the lot." I just yeah. doesn't matter who you are. Just like fuck it the yeah. whole way down. He just takes everything. He's a tough player. Tough player. Excellent poker player, too. A lot of people don't know that about Empire Maker. Back in the day, he was an excellent poker player. He still plays poker, right? Does he still play? Probably private games or something like that. Maybe. He used to wipe the floor with party poker back in the day. Everyone did party (laughs) poker. Are you kidding me? Party (laughs) poker? That was a party. 2003? Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah, you had the old Tough Fish videos, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> you go through that. <laughs> that was like printing, I mean, literally, online poker back in, like, 2003 was like printing money. I was a bartender. I put uh, $100 on there, and the, I think the smallest game they had was a $25 game, but it was only 50 big blind buy-in. Um, and I grinded the $25 game playing at one table at a time. For like two months or something, and made didn't really know what I was doing. I made a hundred dollars, two hundred dollars. Then someone told me about the sit and goes that those are really soft, and it was you could just play five dollars at a time. Fucking took off, and that was pretty much how I learned. You know, that's how I built my bankroll, playing those little sit and goes on party poker. I I, I played I, I played limit hold. Played limit, okay. Yeah, that was I never my, got I, into limit hold. What? Never got into Limit Hold'em. I got into Limit uh, Live with a small club over here in Lakeview. Um, they had Limit uh, Omaha 8. 
Okay. And I got really into that for a while. Lemon Omaha 8. So, like, it was a good split pot. Pot Lemon Omaha 8, I couldn't really get into the high-low thing of, like, the big betting. But Lemon, I could get into. Right. But Lemon, I played, like, six max Lemon Hold'em was my, was that was my go-to game. Yeah. All right. But that, because it's, it's a very mechanical-based, I mean, to learn how to play, like, I would play four tables at once, play $2, $4, and you could. Yeah. But back then in 2003, Poker Stars, Poker Party Poker, Ultimate Bet, like even the limit games were good. Like, I mean, I was making three, four big blinds per table per hour. Like, like how, like that's, oh, that's, awesome. that's stupid amount. I mean, like yeah. you shouldn't be able to do that because, I mean, it, people would just, and you'd play monkey poker. Like my, my, my VPIP would be like under 20%. Like I just basically <laughs> sit, I basically sit there and like, because every hand would have a showdown. Because mm-hmm. it's limited, because people were used to playing no limit or whatever. So it's like, oh, it's okay if I just bet for it. They didn't get the fact that there's no implied odds because you can't like go all in when you hit your hand. So you're not going to get paid off. But whatever, that's that's poker stuff. But it just I just sit there and just basically, yeah, I learned from two plus two books and like what position yeah. should I play certain hands and and limit hold them. A lot of times you're raising or folding most of the time. And then you just when you have when you're playing an eight way pot, you play with speculative hands, you hit your draw and you win a big pot, and then you may not win a hand for another two hours. Right? And you're not playing many hands. So like to me, that's how I built my that's how I learned how to play poker. I mean, like I just like read, sup, and play, read and play, read and play. You know, a lot of the two plus two books and you got good and there was enough bad players and then Eventually, there weren't many bad players anymore because a lot of people went broke. <laughs> They're bad now because a lot of a lot of people have not switched to a GTO, have not adapted to GPO play, and they're still exploitative and they're trying to play individual players and trying to make reads and trying to put people on hands. Like people still do that shit. And uh, yeah, I read a, I started playing again a year and a half ago, and uh, I was doing it. And I was making mistakes. I was like, what the fuck is going on? I used to be such a great player. And so I read No Limit Hold'em for Advanced Players, 2 plus 2 book by Matthew Janda. And uh, I read it in maybe a day. It was just, it was captivating. It's It brought me up to speed on the way the great players now are thinking about poker. So if anyone is out there and they're, you know, they think maybe I've been out of the game for two or three years or whatever... Pick up No Limit Holding for advanced players, and it'll it'll rock your world. Because it's different. Because it's it's weird. It's weird to say. That's why I say I, I'm an old school poker player, but I'm not really an old school. Like the, the the errors of poker were like I consider there to be like four errors of poker pre super system. So this is like mm-hmm. the old Texas road. Ha- I mean, this is this is what you see in the black and white movies poker. Then you have yeah. like. 80s, these have like super system slash theory of poker era. So you talk t- a lot mm-hmm. of limit, a lot of stud, a lot of raz, like in the 80s, those types of games. Yeah. And then you have 2003 moneymaker boom era poker. And then you have current poker. So it's like I come from that 2003 to 2008 period. But players from that finished. era now are now the bad players. Yeah. Like you're not you're playing that style, doesn't win any. Like it wins in that era, but now the great players now are exploiting 
those, like, that's why you see Pulp versus Negreanu, and you go, Negreanu has no chance. And you, if you said that back in yeah. 2005, you'd be like, how the hell does Daniel Negreanu have no chance against anyone? I mean, like, he may not be the best best, right? But I'm just like, how is it, how could it be that Negreanu is that big of an underdog against another poker player? Because he's been playing for so long. It's like, no, he really was that big of an underdog against Doug Polk. Yeah. I played Doug Polk, and it was one of the most mind-blowing experiences I've ever had playing poker. I played against him because before he played Negreanu, I don't know if you know this, but uh, he was playing people in lower stakes games, like, you know, $1,000 games, $5,000 games, just to, like, because he had taken a year off of poker. Right. And he started to do it again just to play Negreanu, and he, he took a month playing, you know, smaller stakes games, mid-stakes games. And I said, sure, I'll play. And uh, I knew I was going to lose money. I <laughs> fucking knew I was going to lose money. He wiped my ass for, like, $3,500, but I learned a lot more... Uh, from that play, we play on America's Card Room where you can log the hand histories. Mm-hmm. So I have it. I have Doug Polk. I've got four hours of hands in my possession of Doug Polk, and I've asked him for many hands, like, "Hey, you know this hand," and copy paste it in the Twitter DM. Like, what did you have this hand? Like, we ask him about the question. Ask him questions. He's been very open. Any questions I've had. So I've learned much more than thirty-five hundred dollars worth in that session than I could have, you know. I were paying someone to coach me for five thousand dollars to learn to be a better poker player. The man is the real deal. It's not that Negreanu is washed up. It's that Doug Polk is the real fucking deal. A lot of well, I mean, also a lot of players from that era are kind of washed up. Also, <laughs> that, that, yeah. that is Most true, though. Most of them are. Right. Most of them are. What? What? Uh, the, five, five, since we're talking about poker, before before we get out of here, uh, what? What's your take on? Uh, on on and Helmuth as a poker as in because that that tends to be a talking point as far as uh just generally what I think of him yeah well not not a personality I don't like him as a, I don't I don't like him as a poker player in general I don't like him as his demeanor in general but I mean I think and this is a little controversial I think Phil Helmuth was ahead of his time um, I mean he's an asshole of a human being. But as a player of small balling people, betting small percentages of the pot to, you know, what they were calling pro bets at the time, mm-hmm. he was doing it for value. And people were like, what the fuck? You know, you just pro bet top pair. And he was like, well, your range included ace high. Right. Like, he, he does have an, I mean, maybe he does have an uncanny ability of zeroing in on people's ranges to very small margins of error. Maybe he doesn't. But if you look at the results, the results have really showed that the way he's put himself in dangerous situations, we see when the big blow-ups, when someone outdraws him, maybe he should have bet more. But, uh, you know, we've seen him also, like, small-ball people to death. And that's a lot of no-limit hold'em now is small-balling people to death. 25% of the pot, 33% of the pot. Back in the 2003 days, fuck, back in 1986, no-limit hold'em, you got the pot. Like, anytime you bet, you bet the pot or you bet near the pot. 2003 era, you maybe bet half the pot, two-thirds of the pot. Now it's pretty customary on a dry board or a medium, like, non-threatening wet board to bet 25 to 50% of the pot. How many was doing this shit in 1988? Right. We, we, or we used to call, even less than that, we used to call them donk bets. Don, yeah. Right, donk yeah. bet Like, you, you, on the river, like, on, it's a $1,000 pot and you're betting 20 bucks on the river. And you're like, what the fuck is that? Yeah. Like... Like that's yeah. Like donks do that. 
you press the min you press the min button on the screen and you're mm-hmm. like why the fuck are you you're betting you're betting two percent of the pot like and people would do that to see but it, it was it was an expl- an exploit on average players because a lot of times that would prevent like you do that to prevent a bigger bet it was so fucked up back then because you you get exploited so much now uh because I think you remember because what you would do, like, let's say you were in a hand, you were first to act and uh, the flush came in on the river or something like that. You know, if there was a draw, it came in on the river, but you still have a hand yeah. that you could bet for value. Like you would be, like if you had, if there was 500 bucks in the pot, like a lot of times your value bet would be like $250, right? Half the pot and hopefully you get called. Yeah, right. But the thing is, is that, well, the, 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 do you want to bet $250 and then if you get raised, fold? No. So you bet you, you bet 50 bucks because the other, your opponent, at least back then, the average opponent, they would be mm-hmm. too scared of the, if they didn't have the flush, they're not going to raise. So it's like no. you, get, you get that free information of like, I'm going to spend 50 bucks and get the value out of the slightly worse second best hand. And only spend fifty bucks in case that they have the flush because they're too scared to bluff raise as it is on that small of a bet. So you almost like your the hand range on that flush is going to be much. Na- this is for average players back then, and then mm-hmm. the exploit would be to fucking just fucking blow them out of the water. I mean, sometimes people would try to do that against me, and I just look. It doesn't even matter what I have in my hand, and I would just fucking raise in the pot and just I would win the hand nearly like ninety five percent of the time. Mm-hmm. Because that bet is never is is never the nuts is essentially never even close to the nuts. So obviously that's exploitable now. But I just remember back then. It's just weird. It's Alex. It's weird for me to say against an average player though. These days in that situation, right? Like top top pair flush hits the river, and I'm facing an average player. I'll bet like one twenty five because the bad player isn't going to raise me. Right. And he'll still call, call you with top picker. second. He's going to call me with second pair. Right. He might even call me with ace high, like thinking I missed my, you know, I missed a straight jar, whatever. Like, who, who gives a fuck? At that point, I'm, I'm betting, I'm betting twenty. Yeah. So, so are average players still playing right. like that? I mean, because I haven't played, I haven't played live poker in a god knows how long. Every once in a while, I mean, I haven't played poker seriously since like 2008, 2009, maybe. I, do do I mean what what do you, what do you see? Is is there that dramatic of a difference? At the lower level, I'm not talking about at the at the Doug Polk level, at that you know the professional professional level, but like in your average player, go into a casino card room, you know, you're playing the Bellagio two five game or something like that type of. I mean, can I can I still play my my 2007 style and be profitable, or 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 is the average player much better now? You might be betting too much if you walk in with that style. You might be betting, you're, you might be continuation betting too often, right. for one. And you might be betting too many dollars on those continuation bets. Right. And then on the flip side, you might not be double barreling enough. And then you might not be making enough value bets on your rivers. Okay, well, that I Right? Don't. Like, we're talk, we, made that, we made that top pair reference. There are a lot of players old school because they don't want to bet half the pot and get blown out of the water. They check. Right. Um, against a good player, 
I might against a really really good player. I'm gonna check because I don't have the option because he's gonna blow me out of the water against a really good player. Um, yeah, but some of the I things guess, that you mentioned, like I, I, I was I was against the grain back then, so maybe I was ahead of my time. I I typically I confused a lot of people by not continuation betting. And I also confused a lot of people by value betting on the river. But I think the one the one thing that I didn't I know I didn't do enough of is the double and triple barrel. Like a lot like like I I was never the type. Also it depends on the games that you're playing. Most of the time I'm catching people, you know, with value bets. But like to me, my to me my I consider my biggest strength in poker was the val was knowing when to value like knowing that I'm that I'm, Which is I'm going to get called. I can, I can bet a quarter of the pot with second pair and get caught and someone will call and know the person that's going to call me with bottom pair thinking that I missed my flush and getting an extra 80 bucks like out of that spot. Like to me, and I consider that to be my strength, but the bluff, the double battering, triple back to me, to me that I was always throwing money. At least the games back then, it was always, if someone's calling you, if someone's calling you the, the, the first time, like they're not calling you with ace high. Like they're not calling. Like it's going to be very hard to double barrel and then let alone triple barrel. They call you on the turn, and obviously I'm saying that with the perspective that back then your barrels are going to be typically going to be half pot, two thirds pot. Yeah. So now, now you you, you have half your stack at the top. Close. Right. Exactly. You're real close. Right. Well, and what the double barreling does is uh, the more double barreling you can do the more you can get action on your overbets mm. on the turn. When you have that top pair and there's a flush draw on the board, mm. you're going to get action on those overbets. I love overbetting. Over the overbet my... the over is, overbetting the turn is my bread and butter. I feel like that's where I make most of my money, overbetting the turn with value for value. Um, I get tons of action with it because people just think I have shit all the time. Right. No, my, my, no, my, my favorite is, is overbetting the flop. Overbetting the flop on a wet board. I mean, fucking why not? Middle set. No, Middle no, set, I flip not, the board. No, well, against average plays. No, I like playing the deep stack stuff. Like back in the day, in in the in the underground card rooms in New York City, are are no limit games. Obviously, since they weren't regulated or anything, typically had small blinds and large buy-ins. So you could find one, two. I played a Nomax game back in the day. Right, but it was similar to that. You're playing with a one. We we would play with like a one thousand max, one two game. So it's like the blinds almost don't mean anything. Like, feel free to fold every hand if you. I mean, like it, like the blinds meant nothing. We had like fifteen twenty thousand dollars at the table at the time, but back then people would still go broke with one pair. Like so, like to me, Mm -hmm. overbetting the flop was like, dude, someone someone over someone raises twenty bucks, and like I'm calling with basically any pocket pair and like I flop a set of fives on a board of like eight, five, three. Like if I hope the guy has, I make more money by basically getting all the money in on the flop against the guy that has aces. So to me, that, to me, that was, that was my money maker, but that's all in comparison to the skill level of your opponents. Cause truthfully, I'm not going to go broke with one pair in a, in a $40 pot, uh, with a thousand dollars. For a thousand dollars. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Poker, the good old days, the good old days of poker. But now now we don't poker. have to play poker anymore. Well, I don't have to play poker anymore. 
I still do. I got three kids to feed, remember? Ah, uh, three. I got no kids. <laughs> still got three kids to feed. <laughs> okay, so Alex, people can find you online. Alex Santi on Twitter. It's very easy, right? It's the same same as your name. Yeah. And what 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 are what are you doing? Are you doing any content for MLB? Yeah, I'll be writing the grind down a couple days a week, and I'll be doing something behind the uh, paywall, um, talking about game selection, taking the slate IQ numbers, and analyzing the stacks for game selections. Like what stacks are good for three man for three max, what stacks are good for mass multi entry type tournaments, stuff like that. Okay, and this is at Roto Grinders, right? This will be at Roto Grinders, yes. Right, so you're with me. So I'll, I'll, I'll probably be, be using your information. Do, are you going to have a vomit stack section? I should have a vomit stack section, but that's going to be the mass multi entry. Okay, so okay, so we'll get that. It'll, it'll usually be a two to five percent type of stack of a bunch of shit, and I'll tell you why <laughs> that shit can turn to gold. Right. That's the number one, one question I get. Percent of the time. Right. That's the number one question I get asked during MLB season. It's usually around five o'clock. I start getting messages or D. What's the vomit stack today? What's the vomit stack today? It's yeah. Like, you should be able to guess it. Just any shit team. <laughs> yeah, and it isn't a piece of shit that you know. It isn't that the piece of shit two percent team is going to go off tonight. It's that look, it's going to go off more than two percent of the time. <laughs> you know. Right. So there you go. That's good enough for me. Okay, so Alex, uh, I mean, we we could we we could have probably talked for five hours. We didn't even talk music. We didn't even talk music. Uh, next time, next time we'll talk music. We'll come back, time. right? Okay. Eric, Eric, Eric's dead, I think. So I, I, I'm gonna need, I'm gonna need constant people to come back on until he's alive again. Okay. So uh, yeah, Alex once Santi, baseball heats up, there'll be plenty of t- there'll be plenty to talk about. Yeah, too. plenty to talk about. Alex Santi on Twitter. Alex Santi. I'm Jordan Cooper. Blender Ed, Blender HD on Twitter. And as always, Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports, 15-hour audio DFS masterclass that you could find at theoryofdfs.com.